0: Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man, who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC, who's who? Ultra
1: mm-hmm. Boy and Mister Gold, Lightning, Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom, Stranger, Hitchcock and Arisia and Woody Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy?
0: Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him! He's also part of the DC Who's Who! Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the irredeemable Shag from FirestormFan.com. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.net. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing just fine, Shag. How are you? I feel like a liar. I really do, because we told our listeners... That the last episode was going to be the last episode of the Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe podcast. It won't end. (laughs) So, folks, in fact, this is our special edition. It is, or you can just call it Who's Who podcast special edition, whatever you want to call it, folks. Uh, This is going to bridge the gap between Volumes 1 and the Update 87 by popular demand. And I kid you not, this was not our idea. This is by popular demand. We are covering the history of the DC Universe. uh, Two-issue miniseries that came up upon the heels of Who's Who. And now that I've read it again, it's been a number of years, dude, it really does make an amazing bridge or or postscript to the first Who's Who series. I mean, wow. I don't know if you noticed it, but it's like, I would love for somebody to take out this book here and the Who's Who listing and map out to see which character didn't make it other than Matt Savage Trail Boss. Because I'm pretty sure... And Zoot Sputnik. I'm pretty sure both. Uh, other than those two guys, everyone else made it. It seems like. Wow.
1: Once again, Sugar and Spike omitted. Um, not in my copy. <laughs> oh, okay. I should have gotten the deluxe edition.
0: You then. should have got the deluxe edition because I kid you not, I sent you a well, picture. Th- of no, it. they're
1: in there. I mean, they're in the deluxe. I mean, yes. I wanted Harbinger to be talking about them. <laughs> See, right? Okay. Well, folks. Um. By the way,
0: I just want to hope everyone say I hope everyone had a very nice Free Comic Book Day. Um, we are recording this before free comic book day. So I'm, I'm excited. we me and my family, we're, me and my two kids, we're going to go out to free comic book day tomorrow. My daughter actually is dressing up. She's dressing up as Caitlin snow from the flash. She's got her little <laughs> white lab coat, and her name badge, and she's going to wear a skirt. She's just all excited. She couldn't, she's just so excited.
1: <laughs> the character created by no one.
0: That's right. Exactly right. And she's demanding. I wear my, um, my Ronnie Raymond firestorm shirt from the show. So a uh, little, little weird. Dad and dad and daughter. You know, is Ronnie and Caitlin. But whatever.
1: It's Florida. So, hey, thanks for that.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, before we go any further, and I kill my co-host, uh, we're going to take a moment to <laughs> it's legal thank our. There. S-
1: <laughs> What's that? It's legal there.
0: It sure is. Uh, That's why I said it. (laughs) We're going to take a moment to thank our sponsor, folks. The fire, whoops, folks. The who's who podcast.
1: The who's who podcast. Whatever show we're doing, who knows?
0: This show is sponsored in part (laughs) by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob?
1: I very cleverly chose History of the DC Universe. My gosh! By Mark Wolfman and George Perez. I think you guys can all figure out what this book is. This is the uh, soft cover edition that came out a couple of years ago. It features a new cover by Alex Ross, which is really very pretty. Of course, uh, the normal price is twelve ninety nine. Its trades price is seven dollars and fifty three cents. That's forty two percent off. That is uh, that's a great price for oh this gosh. really really good book. Uh, sandwiched in between two covers, and then to get the you get the new cover by Alex Ross, so pick that up. History of the DC Universe.
0: Fantastic. Uh, I've got two books I'm going to plug, and they're a little uh, well. One of them's a little unexpected, but they fit so well for what we're talking about. The first one is uh, DC: The New Frontier. Again, that was not a big surprise. Everyone, everyone loves this book that reads it. But the version they've got on on in stock right now is DC: The New Frontier Deluxe Edition Hardcover. So it's. Um, 480 pages, this is of course Darwin Cook's masterpiece, full color uh, again, hardcover normally retails for $49.99, you can get it 42% off right now, so you get it for twenty eight ninety is a fantastic story about sort of the silver age of comics, but why it's so relevant to this, is it's and most people, if, if you haven't read it, you know, or you probably have heard, it's about, like, the Silver Age characters of Green Lantern, Flash, Wonder Woman, Superman, things like that. But it's so much more. A lot of it takes place, it's, in, it's the 50s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's got Rick Flagg from the Suicide Squad, or Task Force X, if you'd rather. It's got the Challengers of the Unknown. It's got Slam Bradley. It's got the JSA, King Faraday, Captain Adam, the Blackhawks, the Sea Devils. It's fantastic. So it's a great book, and it contains a lot of the lesser-known characters that got featured in Who's Who and here in the History of the DC Universe book. So pick that up. You will not be sorry. So it's great. The other books I'm going to recommend, this is a a two-volume set, it's called War That Time Forgot. This came out, it was a mini series that came out in 2008. Volume 1 and 2 are both out there. Um, each volume is um, 144 pages, and each one normally retails for $17.99. They're both 42% off, so they're $10.43 a pop. So basically, you can pick them both up for $21. You can get both volumes, and it's 12 issues. And it, the thing that's fun about this one is, that, again, it's a bunch of really obscure DC characters from Who's Who and from History of the DC Universe that all team up. It's sort of like You know, Crisis was the 1980s team-up where everyone got together, right? Well, imagine there was some team-up that took place in the past where all the characters had to get together. And you get Johnny Cloud, you get Enemy Ace, you get Firehair, Tomahawk, G.I. Robot, Viking Prince, Golden Gladiator. It's just pretty cool, you know? These are all these warrior-type characters, and they're on the island that time forgot, which is with all the dinosaurs. So, fun stuff uh, written by Bruce Jones with art by a few different people. Um, some guy whose name I can't pronounce, Jimmy Palmiotti, uh, Scott Collins, Graham Nolan, so there's in and uh, Justiniano. So anyway, pick that up as well. So again, folks, our thanks to InStockTrades.com, your online source for hardcovers, collections, and other collected editions. I just mixed all that up. Go check them out, InStockTrades.com. Now, the reason I think I got confused in the beginning, Rob, was I couldn't name our shows because we've got so many shows in our feed now. In
1: fact, uh, I think there's a new show
0: in the feed. Is that right?
1: Yes, I, I finally started the uh, Film and Water podcast, which is something I wanted to get to, where I will be doing little short capsule reviews of old and new movies with, hopefully, a rotating series of guest hosts. So, yeah, we, I dropped the first episode where I talked about the new film Ex Machina, and uh, I'm not sure when... We're going to do more but and when they're going to appear, but they will not be replacing the Fire and Water show. They will just be little bonus shows that will pop up in your feed every so often. So, you know, you'll never know when one's coming until you see it on your, uh, your iTunes or your Stitcher, wherever you, you – use bathroom walls, wherever you find out about new episodes <laughs> of the Fire and Water podcast. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, a modest little thing. It's just I'm a huge movie person, and I would just like to have a little more chance to talk about a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing.
0: It's your love letter. Yes, it is. There you go. Awesome. So check those out, folks. I really enjoyed the heck out of the first one, even though it's Rob and I don't care for him normally. But uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So Thank you. I'm glad you were able to get over that. It was, it was twelve. It's the hardest twelve minutes of my life. But, I mean, I, I managed to suffer through. So, well, okay, folks. History of the DC Universe. This is interesting. It's, it was originally published as a two-issue miniseries. And uh, just to give you some some frame of reference here, it actually came out before Who's Who was done being published. The first volume. It came out around the time of Who's Who number twenty-three and number twenty-four. So, um, you know, they still had twenty-five and twenty-six to get through. And I think, Rob, when you and I were talking before the show, I mean, you made a good point that they probably scheduled it to be released when it was still originally a 24 volume set before yeah. they expanded to 26. And then also, and as I mentioned a moment ago, sort of explains why Zutz Sputnik didn't make it in here to History <laughs> of DC Universe because, you know, they didn't realize how important it was going to be just yet, maybe.
1: Once again, we're just left out. It's no fun.
0: I know. So, cover date on these things, there is no specific cover date other than 1987. However, if you are interested in. Um, checking this out. Get your time-turner and don't go back to 1987. That's not going to cut it, folks. You've actually got to go back to 1986, because the release dates on these bad boys were October 10th, whoops, I'm sorry, October 30th, 1986, and November 27th, 1986. You could probably still smell the turkey dinner from Thanksgiving when you go back to October, I mean, November 27th, 1986. That's where you're going to get pristine copies of this. And if you want the collected editions, um... I don't have the softcover collector edition date. I think it's like 2002 or something like that. But the hardcover collector edition, which I'm going to talk about in a second, you've got to go back to March 8, 1988. And I highly recommend you do that um, because it's it's not an easy book to find in hardcover now. So definitely go on back to that date, March 8, 1988, and pick yourself up a copy. Now, before we get started, I do want to say this book is not like Who's Who. It is a narrative story. And we, and it's not like also an issue of you know, Firestorm or Aquaman that Rob and I have covered. So this is a bit of an experiment for us. So we're going to do our best to cover it and talk about it in who's who fashion. If we stumble or we don't get it quite right, you know what? It's an experiment. We're doing our best. And I know there's a couple other podcasts that have covered history of the DC Universe out there. And some of you have been kind enough to tell us about them. I have chosen not to listen to those in advance just because I didn't want to color my impressions of how we do our delivery. You know, I'd, I'd rather we give our own fresh delivery. And if it turns out we cover it the exact same way, so be it. If we do it differently, that's even better. I hear crickets over there. Rob.
1: <laughs> I, I had nothing to add.
0: <laughs> okay. So it here's the, so the collected edition thing is where things get really interesting. So they came out with the two issues. Everybody loved it. Right. And then DC decided they wanted to collect it. And they didn't have a lot of experience in doing collected editions. Uh, I, I, I can only think of a handful of collected editions They had really done at this point Other than like maybe Digest or Treasuries or whatever And so they wanted to do a hardcover They wanted to make it really special In fact, Marv Wolfen talks about that in some of this here and So they went to Graffiti Press um, you know, it, was, it was an outside publisher Oddly enough I don't Has DC ever had a history of working with outside publishers?
1: They had They had done um, a series uh, With, uh, shoot I think it was either Pacific or Eclipse Comics for a series called the Masterworks uh-huh. series, where they reprinted uh, works by Frank Frazetta, some shining oh, wow. Nights, some shining knight stories, and then they did it was, it was um, a series of comics, and it was artist themed. So the first two issues were like the DC work of Frank Frazetta. The third one was the DC work of Bernie Wrightson. So, I saw those advertised. Right. And they were done on, like, really nice paper, and but they weren't done through DC. They were published through, like I said, I don't think it was Pacific, because I think Pacific was out of business by then. It might have been, I think it was, like, a company that was, like, a subset of, of Eclipse. Hmm. But I remember thinking, Well, that's weird. Like, why isn't mm-hmm. this through DC? Because they're DC stories. Yep. Um, so, so they did do, and, and, of course, their um their indexes were done through Independent Comics Group, which was an offshoot of Eclipse. Those were not done through DC as oh, well. Oh, yeah. So I they did They that. did do them, not much, but they did do them. Well, this one, I got the company name wrong. I'm sorry, it's not
0: Graffiti Press, it's Graffiti Designs. Graffiti Designs, yeah. And what they did was they went to them and said, we want to do a hardcover collection. And so it is the two issues collected in hardcover. And this is the version I'm looking at today. So I'll be going through this, and my thanks to the listeners. You're the guys who recommended uh, I check this out, and it's well worth it. Wow, I love this book. The front half of the book, and there's no page numbers up here, so I really can't tell you, but it's probably, I don't know quarter of the book or so, is uh, all essays from a lot of well-known people in the DC Comics history. And we're going to go, after we finish covering the issue, we're going to come back and talk about some of these essays. And we'll talk about my picture, Sugar and Spike. Yeah. So, with that, we're just going to get rolling here. Um, One thing I'd like to point out before we go, the way we're going to split it, I'm going to cover the first issue, and Rob's going to cover the second issue, and I think that's important because... When Rob's in covers his issue, his issue, he's going to cover 40 years of the DC universe. I'm covering $10 billion. <laughs> So I kind of feel like I'm doing a lot more of the heavy lifting here, and I'm not sure that's fair. Um, you know? Um, Rob, I can't talk about the cover of the original versions cuz I don't have it in front of me. I own them. They're my box. I don't remember. Could you could you describe the covers to the two
1: uh, yeah, it's it says History of the DC Universe in giant letters and then inside the lettering are different panels from the insides of the book. It's all drawn of course by Perez and Carl Kesel. So inside the letters you see Darkseid, Uncle Sam, Gorilla City, Amazing Man, the Demon, Black Hawks, Black Condor, Hawkman, Jonah Hex slam bradley and some others and then this this basic cover motif will be repeated for issue two with some characters swapped out that are characters from the second book uh, okay with a different color this is the the main color here is sort of a dark reddish brown and then they'll change it to blue for the second book
0: oh i'm looking at pictures on the. that's right i remember that yeah the letters are huge and they're blocking so you can really get a good look at what's going on inside the panels yeah that was clever i remember that that was really
1: cool this thing, well, you know, the- one thing occurred to me, I, I do want to get started but because you have 10 billion years to cover, but it, it occurred to <laughs> me, thinking about this, is there anybody that you've ever heard of who is a comic book fan? I don't mean someone who has never looked at a comic and then you put it in front of their face, but is a comic book fan that doesn't like George Perez's work? Have you ever heard of anybody? I can't think of anybody I've ever heard that said I don't like George Perez's work. I've heard of
0: people that say that he doesn't do a lot for them. It's um, not the same, though. Right, exactly. I've never heard anyone actively I've, dislike his work.
1: I've heard people say, I don't like Frank Miller. I've heard people say, I don't like John Byrne. You don't hear, you don't hear. You know, or whoever the current equivalent of somebody huge, you know. But, like, back in the 80s, those guys were, like, you know, those were the guys. But I, I literally can't think of anyone who doesn't like George Perez's work. You may, again, it may not be your favorite, but I – for anybody that reads superhero comics, I've, I've never heard anybody ever say anything like, oh, yeah, I don't like that guy. I just, right. He might be right. one of the few universal consensus that is out there in the comic book world. And, and there might be certain characters
0: that he does people aren't thrilled with. Like I, like I, didn't, I didn't actually like a lot of his work on in Infinity Gauntlet because um, I, I wasn't used to him doing Marvel characters at that point. I was you know, me. He did DC characters. Mm-hmm. But I still like George Perez. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, um, I was going to jump in real quick, talk about the other covers. So, the hardcover I've got, uh, which again came out in '88, is it's a slip cover and it is actually drawn by Bill Sienkiewicz. And it's very much in his sort of New Mutants era, like when he was doing, you know, this crazy stuff with uh, Warlock and all that. So, you got Superman who's flying up out of this mass of just, I don't even know how to describe it. It's almost, it almost looks like energy, it's all one color. In the background, lots of squiggly lines everywhere. But as you look in the squiggly lines, you see drawings of Batman and Vigilante and Spectre and Starfire and Brainiac. And-
1: it's like he's jumping out of the time stream.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a good way to put it, yeah. And then it's got kind of a – as it goes off to the, the left, which is the back cover, the wraparound back cover, it sort of goes to almost a painterly color you know, wash. So it's a neat cover. Um, I like probably the George Perez version better than this one. Uh, this one's still powerful, but um, uh, probably the the most beautiful one though is going to be the soft cover cover, which is by Alex Ross, and that's just I mean it's just stunning. It's got uh, on on the front side you've got Superman looking off to the distance, and uh, parallel to him looking the other direction It's Wonder Woman. You've got um, hold on what is that? What's what's that flying up in the middle? I'm looking at my I'm looking at my phone, so it's a very tiny little picture. But <laughs> you got a uh, Krypton exploding behind him, you've got Batman in the front looking directly at you, you can see
1: And Captain then there's, there's Shazam, yeah. I mean, that's yep. clearly a, a throw-in by Alex because we know how much he loves Captain Marvel.
0: Well, I mean Captain Marvel does play a role in the book, but yeah, that's true. You got the death of Bruce's parents, you see the war characters, you see the Green Lantern, and you know, so it's anyway, it's a gorgeous cover. And if you get it for that whatever, whatever ridiculously cheap price that was on Instacart Trey, it's seven dollars and something. Oh my gosh. Um, even if you 've got the issues, just pick up the trade. I mean come on so anyway it's um gorgeous cover, so all of them are all of them are nice you know it's really really nice but d c obviously cherishes this book it's it, it really is a celebration of the d c universe and it's funny that it's still in print to me actually because it's so completely not relevant anymore yeah. <laughs> for the new fifty two it 's kind of shocking that they've still got it in print so well.
1: We're kind of – I'm I'm drawing this out. I shouldn't (laughs) – The irony is that it's taken 10 million years to get to the start of this book. Well, there's (laughs) – anyway, this is
0: popular demand. You guys asked us to cover it because it made so much sense to cover with who's who. So let's get into it. All right. First issue. The whole story is narrated by Harbinger. Who, by the way, if you haven't read Crisis on Earth, there's going to be a lot of spoilers here for you. But the whole thing's narrated by Harbinger as the Monitor used to track all of human history, or all of the universe's multiverse's history. It was his job to record that. Well, now with him dead because she killed him, spoiler, uh, she's now taken on that role of recording this information. And the first page is just kind of her explaining all this, the history of the universe, who she is. And you see this uh, unknowable hand. At the formation of the universe that we, we all saw in Crisis, that you know, everyone always looks back and always go, whose hand is that? Is it the hand of God? Is it the hand of whatever? So, then you go on to the next page, and, and it's just sort of this is all sort of set up about the universe, and it's very a lot of text. Um, Wolfman has written a lot of text here, and it's not in like word balloons or even caption boxes. The way Perez lays, the, lays this out, like I'll give you an example on the second page here. It's f- basically four long skinny horizontal panels like the top one is the universe the big Bang the next one is planets forming uh, the next one is the anti universe or what is it called the uh, antimatter universe then the next one it, or maybe it's just pockets of the universe whatever the next one is harbinger with some clouds but at the top right hand corner you've got a giant block of text the bottom left hand corner you've got a ton of text so very text heavy read but that's okay uh, that 's the whole design of this book it's supposed to be sort of a history book. And I, there was something I kind of found interesting here when she talks about how the universe exploded, the Big Bang, and how it was created. I mean, she talks about here on fewer than 30 worlds, life developed out of sound. And then a, uh, on a million other planets, silicon life became the base. And the main life form of the universe is carbon, which is us, of course. And then sentient light. There's some that have sentient light. There's some that have, are that living forms that are intangible concepts. Just kind of really lofty sci-fi ideas. It's kind of, it was kind of cool we go going to the second page, and it talks about the people that lived on Oa before the Guardians. And that, of course, is the famous story of Crona, who decided it was a famous scientist who wanted to look back in time at the beginning of creation. And he does that. He looks back in time to the beginning of creation, and it causes a massive explosion. And uh, it, this explosion creates the positive and anti-matter universes, and it unleashes evil on the universe. And you get this gorgeous two-page spread. We're going to stop here in just a second and talk a little more about it. But you get this gorgeous spread where the top piece shows that evil has entered the universe. There's these two strange like uh, creatures. They're not quite insectoid but they look like they have carapaces and one of them has murdered the other one. And it's clearly telling you that evil has now entered this this universe. And then you on the bottom half you get three vertical panels. Uh, one is the Proto guardians, I guess you could call them, before they became little short blue people. They were taller blue people. They're doing experiments on a lizard person, which creates the scions from the Vegan universe and uh, Omega Men, so you know I don't care. The next panel is the Manhunters, and it talks, and it's kind of the Green Lantern origin, it talks about how you know, they tried this, they tried the Manhunters, they tried the Green Lanterns. Then the next page continues on with these vertical panels, and it talks about the guardians splintered with the controllers, and it talks more about the scions, because keep in mind, Marv Wolfman played a hand in Omega Men. So there's a lot more Omega Men in this book from, than for my liking, but whatever. And then it talks about just the evil in the universe, and you see
1: – how do you pronounce those guy's names? Abnegazar, Wrath, and Gast.
0: Thank you. Okay. So, all right. Let's just take a quick moment to discuss what we've seen so far here. Any, any opening thoughts here on the book?
1: No. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's funny that it goes from the creation of the universe to, you know, chrono. In Krona, in one page. You know, talk yep. about skipping ahead. That's like a 2001 level, you know, jump <laughs> ahead. Uh, no, it's very pretty. I mean, uh, it's it. It's it's this is already some of Perez's really best work. It's just it's just so overstuffed with visuals. I mean, said this book is really this is one of the reasons why we still want to talk about it and why it's still worth looking at, even though it's all, you know, quote unquote, invalid, is that it's just a very pretty product. You know, it's just really gorgeous to look at. Yeah, it, and the the, te- the text blocks took me a little while to get used to,
0: because I, I guess I'm just not you know I'm used to caption boxes or whatever or, or, or word balloons. So, but the the thing that stands out to me though was just that drawing of those two creatures, the the orange creatures up there, where one has murdered the other. I just I, my eye is always drawn to that because it, it you're like you said it's sort of too like 2001. It just really sells it right then and there that evil has begun. It's a, it's a nice Pandora's box kind of thing, and uh, you know. It's, uh, this could go for, I'd say, 33% less Omega Men, so I'd be okay with that.
1: They were there at the beginning, building <sighs> blocks of the DC universe.
0: <sighs> New 52 did something right, I guess. Oh, no, wait, they're launching an Omega Men series, aren't they? Um, next page is an entire page devoted to Pariah. Next. <laughs> All I'm going to say on this is that my buddy Barry Reese, who helps out with the uh, Ultraverse uh, podcast network, started a Pariah Tumblr.
1: I don't know if he did it as a gag or not. (laughs) And I don't know if he listens to this show, but I hope he does. (laughs) Is that like the same idea of like nihilist Arby's? You know what that is?
0: No, I don't. There's a
1: Twitter feed called nihilist Arby's and it's like a combination of nihilism, but with promoting Arby's. So it's like, you know, it's like life is empty, has no meaning. So you might as well have a big beef and cheddar, you know? So (laughs) that's what I'm guessing that a, a pariah Tumblr would be like.
0: Oh, you're making me hungry. All right, and uh, and Pariah, of course, you know, does the same thing as Corona. He tries to look at the back of the creation of the universe and causes. Except he's problems. just way more whiny about it. Now, help me out. In pre-crisis, what created the multiverse? Wasn't it Corona looking back? Or I was thought that, that the, was thought that's what it was. Yeah. Or did Pariah create the multiverse?
1: No, I, no, no. I always I understood to be that it was Corona. Okay. I couldn't remember whether Krona created
0: the multiverse or just created the antimatter universe, but I think that the, either way, either way here here's your first diversion from pre-crisis history. Notice there is no mention of the multiverse at this point. It is a singular universe and there is a parallel antimatter universe. So all right, next page is a gorgeous shot of Destiny, who at this point was a little-known character, really from what, House of Mystery or whatever, as, as the host of one of those books, and didn't appear too much except on the occasional things here or there. So he's standing there on a, um, looks like a giant tree branch, but it's also drawn in sort of George Perez trademark rocky formation. And he's standing there as he's watching a meteor go flying past him that will have some sort of impact on the earth. we we'll have gone on to the next page. And uh, this is where <laughs> the ca- the cavemen get several pages, surprisingly. So it shows this meteor crash into the earth. And w- and two cavemen go and get exposed to the meteor. And they tell us here, basically, one will become Vandal Savage. And the other one will become Mr. Immortal. And they will battle. Uh, I'm sorry, Immortal Man. And they will battle for eternity, which is kind of a deep concept, which is pretty cool. Then you go into this one story, uh, still cavemen, where one caveman... Beats his uh, his woman to death and her unborn child, and the soul of them go up into space, which is a really it, it's all tying into Wonder Woman like way later, which I was which I think is pretty weird. I hadn't even heard about it till we covered Who's Who. This undead baby or woman spirit that becomes Wonder Woman, I don't get that. Whatever. Uh, and then then we get some mentions, of course, of some other um, uh, caveman characters. We get. Um, Anf- An- Anthro, Anthro yeah. and Kong the Untamed. And yeah. It's funny, I, didn't, I never realized until... It, it's kind of neat, I guess, because in Who's Who, you read each character and you move on, right? This is taking all of those characters and putting them on a timeline together. And it's neat to see that Vandal Savage, Immortal Man, Kong the Untamed, and um, you know, Anthro, all were sort of in the same era. I mean, there's probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years between these characters, because, I you mean know, the Cro-Magnon and all that. But still... It's just neat to see it all on a timeline like this, mm-hmm. and of course the art's gorgeous. Well, it.
1: well, it's worth mentioning that for these two pages, the caveman pages, uh, George Perez used some sort of like a, some sort of craft tint paper to go for a different effect. Because you see on oh, the blacks, good. it's if you look closely at the blacks, they're all kind of rough. Uh-huh. I think I think they were done with uh, what are it might be called a Conti crayon, which is sort of like uh, like a um, big square piece of charcoal almost, and run over a board, and it gives you that little bumpy effect because he's going for a kind of a rough hewn looking kind of thing for just these two caveman pages.
0: Dude, that's freaking awesome! I didn't even notice that. You bring the smart sometimes. Thank you. <laughs> All right, then we go on to the next page and. This gets into some gorgeous, very colorful... It's a nice contrast to the previous page, which is all dark and muddy colors and earth colors. This is very colorful because it's about magic. It's a two-page spread talking about Atlantis. The first half talks about um, sort of the... Uh, just all the, the magical era of Atlantis and how the magic was there. And it really touches on the people who founded Skartaris because they left Atlantis and went and founded Skartaris. It talks about uh, Arion, Lord of Atlantis. And talks about the sinking of Atlantis and ultimately how the two domed cities ended up at the bottom of the sea, Poseidonus and Tridonus. And how one of them adapted to the sea like by becoming people and the other one just found a way to live down there. So um, being that I'm a fan of both Warlord and Arion, Lord of Atlantis, this is just – I'm eating this up with a spoon. Loved it to death. That, look at the intricate work yeah, he's done here. I
1: just I, I'm just amazed. And I feel bad for Carl Kiesel who had to ink this. <laughs> we know
0: in in the introduction in the hardcover Marf Wolfen talks about the intention of this was to be an art book with just some text. So really it is Perez I mean I, did he not draw his books for a month or two after that for working on this or something? I, I don't know. I have no
1: idea. It's crazy.
0: Jeez. But I mean it, if you know anything about Arian, there were these crystal like 12 gem things like represented different houses and and stuff like one was a scorpion and one's you know a centaur and all these he's drawn all the detail on those and he's got you know arian's crazy symbol and and just really really beautiful beautiful work so um don't mean to just just buy the damn thing and look at it please okay if you need to pause the episode and we'll wait <laughs> all right next up we get into a little bit of ancient egypt where we touch on uh, everyone's favorite Northwind, his home country of Fetheria, and how it was founded. Woo, Harlan Freilicker you know he's happy right now. And then they talk about Blue Beetle, sca- Blue Beetle scabbard, scabbard. Wow, I'm having a hard time saying that. Black Adam, uh, scarab, but not scabbard. Scarab, thank you, thank you. I'm looking, I'm reading my notes and I miswrote it. That's what my problem yeah. is. Yes, Black Adam and Naboo and how that ties to Doctor Fate. We get the origins of Hawkman and Hawk Girl in here, and this is neat because. Again, it's a, it's a whole bunch of characters independently that you don't necessarily think about all fit together really well because this would have been the first time that really Black Adam is joined up with uh, Naboo in them because at that point, you know prior to this, you know Fawcett was Black Adam and DC was Naboo. and you know so Earth S and Earth Two and now it's all on one one Earth and so this is really the first time they really connected. The same thing with Blue Beetle's um, Scarab. Uh, because that also would have been what Earth Sea or it would have been the Charlton books. So it's weaving all these various pieces together in post-crisis universe. Nice, nice demonstration of that. And of course, Hawkgirl and and when I say Hawk girl and Hawkman, I'm talking about their. If you don't know your history on that, they were reincarnated Egyptian pharaohs and, and his wife. So I love this one. I lo- like the detail at the top there in the 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 Egyptian tomb. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, that clearly must have been a huge board he drew that on, and it got shrunk or something, because you can't even make out most of the detail. Uh, Moving on. Then they get into the Greek gods... And this is all, I, I got to wonder if George wrote this bit. It's, it's basically just reciting a lot of Greek myths. If you know your mythology, this is all stuff you already know. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail of it. It is a very impressive picture that Perez has drawn, demonstrating a lot of what happened in Greek mythology. I mean, you've got you know Zeus battling Kronos, and you've got the Titans and things like that. So it's very, it's very, very, very pretty. It's a Greek god history. And obviously Greek gods was on the mind of George since he was really pressing that heavy in his Wonder Woman book.
1: Is this the first nudity in a non-Vertigo DC comic? Oh, I didn't even notice there's nipples. How did I not notice there's nipples? Wow. Well, there's not just... I mean, yeah, there's bare-breasted women and bare-butt-cheeked bare, bare butt-cheeked guys. Yeah, I, I can't think of another mainstream DC comic that had this. I might need a minute.
0: Hmm. When did uh, Atlantis Chronicles come out? Was that, that was much later. Never yeah, that was,
1: yeah, that was much later. Was that, yeah, had... That, that had a lot
0: of nudity, yeah. Yeah. Bless it. Um... No, because, you know, like, I remember reading, like, the first volume of Man-Thing. There was some nudity in that. Well, Man-Thing? Maybe she wasn't nude. Maybe it was just, like, lingerie that was clearly see-through. Man- Man-Thing? Man Yes, Man-Thing. Man-Thing is not a DC comic. Well, I, I was talking about mainstream comics in general. Oh, all right. okay. I, I realize that it's a DC, not a DC comic, but, yeah, could be, I suppose. I, they must have stuck it in somewhere before now. I mean, by 1988 there was, or 1986. Oh, well,
1: was there any nudity in Dark Knight Returns? No. Hmm. Watchmen.
0: Watchmen did, didn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, that's true. Watchmen did. Yeah. So that had, okay. that had blue blue weenie in it.
0: So yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what he called his little friend, blue weenie? Yeah. So. Anyway, so you get the Greek gods, and then you move on right after that, and it talks about how the old gods, meaning like the Greek gods and stuff like that, gave way to. Coincidentally, the New Gods. And it talks about the creation of New Genesis and Apocalypse. And you get a nice shot on the left of New Genesis with High Father and Supertown floating there. And then, um, or is, is it called Supertown? It's called Supertown, right?
1: I thought so.
0: Yeah. It's funny. It's like when it rolls off the tongue, though, it doesn't feel right. Anyway. And then on the right-hand side, you get you know, Apocalypse. It's a, it, you know, there's flames in the skies. You see the planet with the fire pits. And you see Darkseid just looking all pissed out of the side of his eyes. But it's a nice piece. I like that one quite a bit. Then you get into a completely wasted page, um, which is drawn nicely though, of the Omega Men. So it talks quite a bit about the Omega Men and the Ocarin <laughs> and Zol and I have no passion for this.
1: They're in this a lot. Well, it's Marv Wolfman.
0: I mean he yeah. he wrote that first issue, right? At least and how long do you write the book for?
1: Well, he didn't write the first issue of Omega Men.
0: Oh, oh did he introduce him in Green Lantern he introduced and, him in Green New Green Lantern,
1: Titans? yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's what it is. Uh oh, thanks, Marv. All right, so um, yeah, I'm done with this. It's very pretty. Check it out. Okay. All right, uh, then we get into the Amazons once again, right up George's alley because he's really pushing this heavily in the Wonder Woman book. But you get where Heracles and his soldiers are facing off against Hippolyta and her Amazons, and it's a it's a pretty cool looking drawing. And they talk about how how uh, Heracles did them wrong. And how eventually the Amazons made their way to a beautiful island which became um, Themyscira. Actually, I don't know, do they say Themyscira in here? I don't think they do. Nope. Okay. They just talk about the island that the the Amazons take up. And you see a nice shot of Zeus at the end of that. And it's, uh, it's good stuff. All right, moving on. Then, I love this next page. This is one of my favorite pages in the book. We've now moved on past the Greek era. And it's talking about in China... There is a meteor, a green meteor, that crashes to Earth, and out of that is shaped a lantern, just sort of like the old Alibaba lantern. And then later on it shows the, the famous train lantern from the 40s that eventually would become Alan Scott's train lantern uh, from Green Lantern. So it talks about that how that crashes to Earth. And that meteor is huge, because if you look at the meteor, there's all these little tiny people in the foreground, like standing around watching it. So that must have been a massive meteor to make that tiny little lamp. It wasted a lot of that stuff. There could be a lot more of that rock laying around. I'm just saying. Then you talk, It talks about how it moves on to Rome and how the Roman Empire rose, and you get um, you get lost in your place. Here we go. It talks about the Golden Gladiator, and then it talks about Blackbriar Thorn and how because um, he was put, you know, he was a druid around the time Stonehenge and around the similar time, and how he got buried in the earth and wouldn't be discovered for 20 centuries. It's amazing how many characters ended up in 20th century comics that were from the past. By the way. Again, seeing all on a timeline like this is really cool. Then we get into Arthurian times, and they talk about Shining Knight and Etrigan. And on this page is drawn a picture of the Silent Knight, but he doesn't get mentioned until the next page, which is not you got to flip the page and get to it. But anyway, so you see Etrigan, you see Shining Knight flying around, you see Silent Knight. Um, and then on the next page, we're still in sort of what they call the Era of the Barbarians, because we hear about Ar- Arach, Son of Thunder. We talk about Viking Prince, Viking Commando. They even touch on characters that aren't DC-related, like Robin Hood and Three Musketeers. They mention the Silent Knight. And it's a neat drawing, because up at the top, you see Erok, Son of Thunder. Here, they call him Erok Redhand, Son of Star of Dawn. That's what they call him here. You see him with some Viking ships behind him. Then you see the Viking prince on a ship, and you see the ghost of Viking Commando as he's disappearing. And as we know, he gets pulled to the, to the 20th century to the World War II, which is awesome, having a Viking. Who doesn't want a Viking in World War II? <laughs> it was a very nice drawing. I love the ghostly, uh, ghostly you know, uh, uh, barbarian there. That would have been done, I guess, with a... Uh... What do you call that, a surprint
1: thing? No, that's not a surprint. That would be, I think that, it's just basically done as an overlay. You just print a different layer and say, okay, whatever's on this layer, print in this color. And they printed him in yellow here.
0: But it's still, isn't it a surprint by printing him in, in a color hole? Then... Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, basically. basically.
0: Look at me, using surprint correctly. Took uh, all these years to get it right, <laughs> and I used it right, and you told me I was wrong. Look at that. Stick it in your ear, Kelly. So then, uh, what else we got here? Then we go on. I don't get this one. Maybe you can help me here. It talks about a ship from the stars buries itself in an Alaskan peak inside the pilot remains suspended animation for almost 1,100 years. And then it goes on and says, hidden in Tibetan mountainside is the fabled land of Nandar Parbat, which I don't care, even two craps worth. I realize Dead Man's very popular, but I can never enjoy any stories about that place.
1: So who crashed in the Alaskan mountains? Uh, the, po- yeah, who is, is that?
0: Is that the Overmaster or, or whatever from the Justice
1: League Detroit storyline? I don't know, because he landed in master? Is, it the, mas- he is it the Master in- of the World ship from Alpha Flight? Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know, well, he'll, whoever, I forget, yeah, forget, it'll show up later on in the book, but yeah, no.
0: I don't think it shows up in this book.
1: I think it, yeah.
0: Well, maybe it doesn't, I just didn't put two and two together, I don't know, but, all right. Then at the bottom, it talks about how the um, how do they word these people? Um, Very hard to
1: read. Blueprint over purple, <laughs> purple background. Exactly.
0: The wizard leaders of the twelve cities of gems. They basically talks about how these magical beings leave Earth and go to Gemworld and found Gemworld. So. Nice, nice piece. I love these two pages. I love these, like the last two pages and these two pages. I just they're some of my favorites in the book. I just think they're beautiful. So, and I don't know who the dude in the middle with the sword is. I'm guessing that has something to do with Nanda Parbat or whatever. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm already getting. I'm, I'm fighting a yawn as just as we talk about it. All right, going on to the next page. Uh, talks about we're, we're now in the fifteenth century. I've come a long way, folks. I just like to say, you know, from ten billion years to the fifteenth century. I'm 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 moving at a good clip. Let's see how Kelly does when it's his turn. And it talks about the uh, vegan system. Thankfully, the Spider Guild. At least they're interesting. And it talks about the founding of Gorilla City in the fifteenth century and the Manhunter cult on Earth, which I don't know how much the Manhunters like. Obviously you know, we know the Manhunter story and how they appeared in Green Lantern and all that business, but like was the Manhunter cult really firmly established on Earth at this point? Like I know the Manhunter series that John Ostringer wrote dealt mm-hmm. with the Manhunter cult. And I don't I don't know if they dealt with that prior to this
1: or not. Oh they did. No yeah. There was a – yeah, no, no. There there were stories in the seventies about this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. There was a all Justice right. League, there was a two part Justice League story where they talk about the Manhunters and stuff actually a couple stories about the Manhunters. So yeah, no that that was established.
0: Zar, Zar story, or whatever, where Mark
1: Shaw was disguising himself as a different. Well, character. there, there was that one, but there was one. There were ones even before that, uh, okay. written by I think it's JLA, like one forty, 140, one forty-one, where they deal with the Manhunters. Interesting. Okay, all right.
0: And that's a, sort of an interesting page because it's done in three vertical panels, so it's very tall, skinny panels of the spiders. It's just a creepy. If, if spiders freak you out, this one will freak you out a bit. Then you get the gorillas, and then you get the Manhunter, which has a lion symbol, so it's all kind of animal themed, which is nice. Then still in that sort of era, 15th century-ish, um, or actually, I'm sorry, we moved on to the 16th century in Europe, we get the pirate era of the, like, the pirates, and you get the black pirate, and they talk about the eye vampire, and uh, how he's a vampire who's trying to fight to help, a turn, you know, help the living, and there's a super hot picture of a redhead who's turn, been turned into a vampire, and you can see the holes in her, her neck, and did I mention she's really hot? <laughs> I, think, I think I did, okay. <laughs> then moving on to the next page. We continue on, and it talks about further characters from this era. You get the Grim Ghost. Talks about how he died and came back to life as the Grim Ghost. You get Captain Fear, um, which is great. Which was that Walt Simonson book? Yeah, yeah. That looks gorgeous. So, um, you know, George did George did did it justice. He did a nice job here. And then at the bottom, you get the American Revolution characters, which is awesome. You get uh, Miss Liberty. You get Tomahawk and Dan Hunter. And there, not mentioned but in the drawing, is Lord Schilling. Lord Schilling. It's Lord Schilling. Everyone's favorite. I'm telling you, man, this is – seriously, if you mapped who's who to this, I think you'd find damn near everybody shows up in this thing. It's just really like, – even like Lord Schilling, you know, who you and I had so much fun making fun of. Now, I have, uh, as we move on to this next page – um. Because right now we get into sort of the American expansion. Uh, they talk about Firehair, the young the young boy who was uh, raised by Indians, the redheaded boy. You talk about Jonah Hex. They talk about the Civil War. We get El Papayo, Papagayo, I think is what, how he's... Papayo. How Papayo, okay. All right. And um, now here's a question for you, though. Who at the top of that page is in the background with a sword?
1: I think it's Don Caballero. Is it? Yeah, it was drawn by Bill Ray in the Who's Who, and you really yeah. loved it. You like, I fell did. in love with that drawing, yeah. Okay, because he's not mentioned by name. At all. No, he's not.
0: So okay, all right. But you get a really nice Jonah Hex. He's like riding a horse coming at you, and they talk quite a bit about him. Again, seeing all this in a timeline, guys, it's amazing how many Western characters we covered in Who's Who, and you're going to hear about them all in the next couple seconds here. Then you get into um, let's see. They talk. Uh, they they show the wagon train going east, which is really nice in silhouette, which is a really pretty one, as you said on your uh, Joe Kubert. Our Cubert School episode. It's a uh, silhouettes your artist friend. Yes, but you, you get a section dedicated to El Diablo, which was kind of DC's version of Zorro. You get Batlash, you get Pow Powwow Smith, Super Chief, Cinnamon, Trigger Twins, Johnny Thunder, Madam Forty Four, Strongbow. We get we get a mention of Hex, and I don't mean Jonah Hex. Talks about how Jonah Hex gets lost in the time stream and he's being pulled to the future. So that gets mentioned here at the end. But again. No mention of Matt Savage, Trail Boss.
1: What's up with that? Mm.
0: Maybe he's in the Maybe he's in the uh, silhouette at the top. Maybe that's what it is.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Probably not. Okay. Oh well. But it's a neat drawing. So you get one, two, three, four, five horizontal panels across two pages. As I mentioned, the silhouette across the top. Then you get just you know sort of pictures of the wagon. Some of this too, by the way, is not specifically about the superheroes, but just sort of American history. Like here, there's a whole bit talking about how people moved east, and it's not. Nothing about superheroes whatsoever, so it kind of has to tell you a little bit about history to set the setting. Then you get the El Diablo piece. Then you get a nice piece where it's framed on the left with bat, like these old-timey old, time, old timey photos, you know, the old uh, c photos. On the left-hand side is Batlash, on the right-hand side is Cinnamon, and in the middle... And not as a photo, but just back to back, you get your your three Native American characters: scalp hunter, powwow Smith, and super chief. So that's nicely set. And then, uh, then the next the next horizontal panel down is the Trigger Twins, which you know, two of my favorites, <clears throat> not exactly. Then you get Johnny Thunder and Madam Forty Four. Awesome. Finally, you see Strongbow, who uh, who's going into a cave there. And, then, uh, and as I mentioned, you get Hex. So really nice, really nice drawing. I, this is a great page celebrating the Western characters, and there's so many of them, you know. Then it immediately leaps to the 19th century, and, uh, and I'm sorry, no, it leaps from the 19th century to the 20th century and gets into World War I. You get uh, a sort of reminder of Vandal Savage and Immortal Man, their role here throughout history, so you see nice shots of them sort of paralleling each other. Then you get Enemy Ace, and you get my favorite Owen Wilson playing Balloon Buster. And uh, just a, really another great silhouette in the background on this one. These silhouettes of, of World War One uh, fighter planes dogfighting. Wow, with a red, you know, kind of the red, fiery sky. Absolutely breathtaking, this page.
1: I don't and know that, if this
0: one just blew you away or not.
1: I really like it. Uh, I have noticed that there is a slight change in the style of the drawing for Balloon Buster and Enemy Ace. And I have to think that that's George Perez and Carl Kiesel trying to ape Joe Kubert a little bit. Ah. The, line, the line work changes just a little bit to give it a slightly more cubert ish feel. I have to think that's on purpose, because these are two of his characters. No, I bet you're exactly right.
0: I bet you're exactly right. Did I tell you how good the Enemy Ace uh, showcase is?
1: Yes. So good. Okay. All
0: right. Then we go on to <laughs> what I would consider a wasted page, but uh, Tom pan probably likes it. It is a page dedicated to Brother Blood. And if you're into the New Teen Titans, you probably eat this thing up with a spoon because it's a gorgeous page. It really is beautiful. But it's a long history about the Blood family. And you see that from the back, from behind, you see Brother Blood's white cloak, and he's like talking to his congregation, I guess. And then in the bottom, you see him coming out of the bloodbath with a really interesting wheel of fortune thing around him. Uh maybe Pat Sajak's there with him, I'm not sure. But it's uh it's a beautiful page. I just I don't have I don't have a lot of patience for Brother Blood, personally. <laughs> Then we go to the next page, and officially the heroic age is starting, folks. That's what they say. They declare the heroic age starts. And we start off with, that's right, who are you going to start the heroic age with? Yeah, you're going to start it with Dr. Occult. That's who you're going to do it with. And he's got his little roulette wheel of power, I guess, um, which is designed to look like he has that symbol. He always, that circle thing he always holds up that's black and red. But there's these little yellow images on it, which I thought were the specter, but I guess they're just death heads, maybe? Yeah, they're not, Yeah, right, it's not the specter. So, But anyway, just showing his mystical abilities. Then you see uh, a nice shot at the bottom of Adam and the Green Lantern of our sector. And then you get a really nice kapow moment here on the next page, folks. It's a two-page spread of Krypton. And this is John Byrne's Krypton. On the left-hand side is Jor-El and Kara, both looking very um, – what's the word I'm looking for? uh, Concerned. Yeah, that's the word. Thank you. And you see sort of the the typical John Byrne Krypton iconography, and you've got that cool tower-looking thing with spirals coming up. You see the K-Lex robot, you see the birthing chamber, and the right-hand page is all Krypton exploding, and Superman's rocket rocketing away. Really powerful picture. I love this one. I love John Byrne's design for Krypton. I thought it was really cool. I liked the whole sterile society. I, I really... Really, this was my era of Superman that I loved. So,
1: now, In the timeline, this would be around the late 1930s, which is, of course, when Superman first appeared. So I have to figure that was a nod to his first appearance in the comics, is that that's supposedly that's when Krypton blew up in our time. That's a good point. I hadn't put that together. That makes a lot of
0: sense. No. Very cool. And in post-crisis, Superman wasn't born on Krypton. He was in the birthing chamber. He was born on Earth. Right. And, you know, it's a nice fit, though. All right. Next page, um, another wasted page. <laughs> more,
1: um, Omega Man. more Omega Men.
0: More Omega Men. <laughs> so yeah, you get a whole page dedicated to Omega Men and just how, what, what, what's going on there in the Omega Men system and the Citadel and... Hey, go read Omega Men. It's a pretty page though. All right. Um, next page, you see more of Kalel's rocket coming to Earth and you see like as he's passing through different various planets and systems and Thanagar and Ran and stuff like that. And then in the bottom, you see Hitler... And the Swastika, I don't remember, who drew Hitler's entry and Who's Who? I don't remember. Um, <laughs> apparently he's in there because he's in this book. So it talks about the rise of the Third Reich, and you see the Swastika. And more, more silhouettes of troopers. I guess he really used a lot of silhouettes in this book. Which, of course, leads us into our World War II heroes. The next page gives you a very nice sort of shot talking about the, how the war was beginning in Europe, but hadn't engulfed America yet. So you get characters like Zatara, Crimson Avenger, Hop Harrigan, uh, Sandman, Man. I didn't realize Doll Man was so early in the, in the scheme of things, really. But it's a very cool cu- picture because Zatara is doing his magic in the background. Crimson Avengers sort of in the foreground for action. Hop Harrigan, you just see a, a side shot of his, like his face and his planes. Doll Man's riding at you on a dove, and, and Sandman's in the background with a mist. It's really it's a nicely done page. It fits a lot of very um, items that don't really go together well, but it's, it, it, they, he makes it work. We're, now we're starting to get into more war stuff. You see Commander Steele, but it's a really interesting picture. It's basically a picture of, uh, I assume, Europe, a city in Europe burning. Oh, this is probably London during the Great Blitz. Would probably what this? Yeah. Would be. So you, because you've got the planes bombing uh, London, it looks like, and there is just a in white Sir y or Color Holdy. Image of Commander Steel, like enraged at the destruction and, and horror that's going on in Europe. It's a really powerful piece, and along the bottom is Jay Garrick zipping across the page with these beautiful colors—you know, yellow and blue, and sort of a pinkish color behind him—and it uh, looks great. Really nice piece, powerful. Then we get—we're getting into our JSA characters here, so exciting. You see Hawkman and Hawk Girl. You see the Spectre, and uh, you see Johnny Thunder and his Thunderbolt. Uh, that's unfortunate, but he had to be here. You <laughs> get Our Man, you get Black Condor, you get Adam, you get Dr. Fate, and you get Green Lantern. And these are all in vertical panels again. So like one page is three vertical panels, and it, it's is done really well. So the far left panel is the hawks flying up, and Hawkman's wings are actually breaking out of the panel mold. The middle panel is just a very close-up sort of uh, spacey-looking picture of the Spectre's face. Then the third panel, vertical panel, is two. The top half is Johnny Thunder, the bottom is Iron Man. Then the parallel of that is reverse. So rather than two solid in a break, breakup of two, you get the two panels. Probably not making a lot of sense. It just, it's nice symmetry, folks. And that's what I'm trying to say. The, remember I mentioned the middle panel is a nice close-up of the Spectre's face. while on the other side, is a nice close-up of Dr. Fate's face. So altogether, it's, it's really nicely done. Great symmetry on this one. All right, then... We go on, and the JSA is formed. Dun, dun. This great shot that you see everyone has scanned in and put on their website at some point or another. It's a beautiful shot of the JSA, all standing there with Hawkman. Hawkman sort of in the back with his arms outstretched, like, heroically. And you get Sandman, Spectre, Flash, Hawkman, Adam, Green Lantern, Hourman, and Dr. Fate. And you've got the shield sort of there. On the bottom, it goes on to talk about how other heroes come on the scene, like Starman and Dr. Midnight. I love that Dr. Midnight picture. That is totally bossed with the shit. Ah. Oh. Have I ever told you how much I love the classic Dr. Midnight costume?
1: Oh, yeah. No, we dig it. We, we got really into it during Who's Who.
0: Yeah, that is such a badass costume. Then on the next page, you get a
1: full-page splash of the Injustice
0: Gang of America. And uh, a really nice picture. And it talks about how you know the rise of heroes led to the rise of villains and teaming up. So you get Solomon Grundy and Brainwave and Sportsmaster and Huntress slash Tigress and the Gambler and Predegaton and Vandal Savage and Harlequin and Fiddler. And the Wizard, and Icicle, and Shade, and... Is that Lex Luthor?
1: Uh in the middle. No, that can't be Lex Luthor, because there's no Superman, so... Good point. Who is it? uh Hmm. Yeah, I don't know who that is. It's not Savannah. No, because... No, it's not Savannah. Yeah, I don't know who that is. We have to look that up. So many couples out there. But it's a really nice
0: picture. I mean, it's it's very who's who-worthy picture. I mean, it's really, really well done, so... And then you get, here's another kapow moment. Oh, my gosh. The next page is the All-Star Squadron. And the way he's laid this out is down the middle, it's a two-page spread, down the middle is a giant fat section of a V. And in the V are all the All-Star Squadron members, like, either crowded in there or leaping out of the V. Behind, you know, the, the inside section of the V is the perisphere. The outside sections of the V. Is sort of fiery skies with war going on and naval ships and flying planes. But man, I mean, this shot is gorgeous, dude. Why, you know what? Why don't you tell some of the people who some of the characters are? I got to take a drink.
1: <laughs> well, this is my favorite spread in the book. I mean, V for Victory. You know, I mean, it's very reminiscent of the WPA posters from the time. I'm sure that's what Perez was aping. So, I mean, we see everybody here Spectre, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Thunderbolt, Shining Knight, Hourman, Man. Uh, the uh, Judo Master, uh, Mr. Terrific, The Manhunters, Uncle Sam, Crimson Avenger, Johnny e. Quick, Plastic Man, Amazing Man, Larry DeVille, Robot Man, Star Man, TNT, Dan of Dynamite, Midnight, Zatara, Firebrand, Black Can- I mean, it's just – it's great. It's just it goes on just, and on. Beautiful,
0: beautiful. And to make Martin Gray happy – not only does it have Rob and I's beloved, Danette Firebrand, it's also got her brother Rod Firebrand, who he was calling us out and arguing with. He thinks Rod's hotter than Danette. I think Danette's hotter, personally. But, and I don't mean flame heat. It's, uh, it's a glorious. It's absolutely beautiful. And if you're a fan of the JSA in any way, shape, or form, or the All-Star Squadron, I mean, this, this, this one will just make your heart sing. I was trying to look to see if there's anybody I didn't know. Who's the guy at the top, top left-hand side behind Green Lantern in the blue?
1: I can't There's the red bee.
0: <laughs> yeah, the red bee is there. Yeah, he's there. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's so good. Manhunter and... That Who's, might the be... guy with the... Who's the guy with the red handkerchief on his head next to Power uh, Phantom Lady?
1: Oh, that's... Uh... Oh, shoot. Neon the Unknown.
0: He is very much unknown.
1: Yes, that's his name. Neon the Unknown.
0: <laughs> There's a ghostly guy behind uh, Crimson Avenger. Hmm. No idea who that is. Yeah. Other than that, I recognize everyone
1: yeah there's the jester yeah there's a there's a, some real obscure ones thrown in hmm well, is that um the spider or the or the black spider the guy with the
0: the yellow outfit with the bows uh
1: which where's that the
0: which? arch the archer right underneath Hawk girl's wings oh hmm, I can't remember his name i yeah, think it's I, don't know. I think it's the black spider or the spider, yeah, but either way, great stuff, the whip, phantom lady's breasts, everything's wonderful <laughs> and and really plastic man's got one of the premier spots on there, so
1: nicely he, done. he deserved his own. Create a little panel. He didn't get one.
0: Well, the problem is, where would they place him in DC history, though?
1: Well, he's here. He's in the yeah. 40s. But for the most
0: part, it was just an all-star squad. Oh, you're saying earlier on they could have placed yeah. No, him. Okay. in the book, yeah. Like I yeah. mean,
1: all you know, the Adam gets his own panel. Doctor Midnight gets his own panel. But to me, Plastic Man is like a bigger star than any of those guys. So he deserved his own little space. I wonder at what point did like
0: because you know Plastic Man obviously joins the JLA later, and and we know he can live forever because we learned that in a JLA story as well. But like when they brought him more modern day with like the jla stuff did they say he hadn't been in world war ii anymore or yeah right, no yeah they just they forgot right, all right, that. Count that out okay yeah yeah all right good stuff good stuff here now this is um well we'll get to that in a minute all right <laughs> so got a little ahead of myself then we get a nice shot it talks about not all the heroes of world war ii had powers it talks quite a bit ahead. The Blackhawks have a whole page dedicated to themselves. Uh, this is probably when they are still hoping for that movie, too, would not it? Back in uh, 87, 86.
1: Uh, I think the ship had sailed by then, but what the hell. Okay.
0: <laughs> on the right-hand side, you've got a beautiful Sergeant Rock picture. This is probably another one of those
1: where they're trying to look a little more like Kubert. I would think. Yeah, well, this is done all in pencil. There's no inking on this one to give it that look to it. So, okay. Oh, look, yeah. at, look at the big brain on Rob.
0: It, I was looking at like the line work on the strap on his helmet it looks very Kubert like
1: you know. Well, it, it, I think he's definitely aping Cuber, but I also think to help go along with it, that that's just Carl Kiesel didn't ink it. It's just done yep. right from Perez's pencils.
0: That's cool. And you've got uh, Sergeant Rock's villain on the bottom. Is that Iron The Iron Wolf? Major. The Iron Major. Major. I knew I didn't have the name right. Okay, cool. Thank you. And then uh, the last page, you get a shot of the Freedom Fighters, which is pretty awesome. And it's interesting. It's it's the Freedom Fighters as they sort of existed with the uh, – well <laughs> – let me ask you about the Freedom Fighters, because I never read the 70s series. I mean, obviously, the main ones were always Uncle Sam, The Ray, um, Doll Black, Man. Black Condor, Human Bomb. Yep. Boob Girl. Yeah. Boob Girl. And then, in All-Star Squadron, we saw Firebrand join them. We saw Our Man join them. Things like that. Was Was that... Ever in the fire in the 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 Freedom Fighter series, or was that only All Star Squad? I that
1: think that's Roy Thomas's invention that these other characters joined up. And again, you see them again. Ne- Neon the Unknown, you see him twice. Neon the Unknown gets two different appearances. Yep. Well, there's thing. the guy with the blue cape too. Yeah, as well. right. Yeah, there's the silver. Go- I think that guy's the Silver Ghost and oh. Red B. Yeah, these are all these real. These are the characters that I think DC per- got purchased along with the other quality characters. Because all these are quality characters purchased okay. from DC, and I think the, those are like this, the the D list guys that they also got in the sale.
0: Well, Our Man was a weird one to stick there. Yeah, I never understood that. Anyway, that brings us to a close of issue one. You get a little bit of wrap up. You see the Monitor satellite again, and that's that's going to be that there. So, yep. and now
1: uh, Rob, I'm going to turn it over to you. All right, book two, uh, which is it's sort of funny this whole idea of that that Harbinger is telling the history of the universe. But it's really mostly superheroes. <laughs> it's really, really <laughs> mostly about superheroes. It's kind of like – Specifically to Earth. <laughs> yeah, specifically to Earth. It's sort of like let's tell you about world history, but we're really just going to talk about America. Uh, but but what the hell. Um, this this book, the book two, has got the same cover motif with some of the images replaced. Not all. Some. Uh, Dr. Occult is still there. Hawkman, Demon, Amazing Man. But now we've got Superman and Batman and Swamp Thing. So we've got a couple of modern heroes thrown in. Omega Men still on the cover because they are the most important characters of the DC Universe. Oh, thank goodness. So <laughs> book two, and it said it, it, it recaps a little bit about what went over in book one. It's talking about the beginning of things. And it just can, just picks up where, where book one left off with Harbinger writing her wiki page about the DC Universe. <laughs> and um, this page contains some errors. So it opens up with this really <laughs> – Beautifully laid out page featuring um, Judo Master and his the the uh, sort of Japanese son on his chest radiates out all these different sunblasts and then within that there are different characters and you see Neptune Perkins and Tsunami it's really beautifully laid out page I mean Perez just went to town on these, on these designs, some of these pages yeah, so, The design layout of the sun really is impressive and right. how it creates the panels Right, you know. and this page is specifically dealing with the, the Pacific Theater of War during World War Two. and then we move on to The Guardian and the Newsboy Legion and uh, the the uh, the Boy Commandos Oh, yeah. I could not come up with their yeah, name. The boy, the boy Thank com- you. Boy Commandos, and we said Jeb Store in the Haunted Tank, the Creature Commandos, and there's the Viking Commando. Your, fa- <laughs> your favorite, um, GI <laughs> Robot. GI Robot, the Unknown Soldier, uh, Mademoiselle Marie, uh, and then the, the losers, and then the, the guys from the OSS. So, and then again, we at this point we get up to. World War II, when we see a collection of headlines. The Allies advance, FDR dead, Hiroshima bombed, and then war ends finally. So it tells the whole sort of story of World War II just in newspaper headlines in the background, which is pretty clever. See like Pearl Harbor, the Bataan Death March, all that other kind of stuff. So really very very interesting.
0: And it's, it's interesting how they focus on real world. They don't talk about, like, J, the Justice Battalion or anything like that. Right. And uh, next we're talking oh, about – Oh, no, you can't leave this page yet. Huh? Oh, you, 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 well, you can't leave yet. I gotta sorry. You, you, you skipped some characters. Grave diggers in here. You got Task Force X in the background with Control, and the in the one where you see um, you, you see the dinosaurs flying in the air from the island that the, the war that the island that war forgot time forgot whatever, and then you've got the ninja guy. I can't remember his name, but uh, so I I just had to mention those guys. I get so excited about all the little details that Perez wedged in here. Okay. Sorry.
1: All right, all right. So uh, I didn't do that to you, but that's fine. So. Uh... <laughs> It's because I didn't miss anybody. <laughs> yeah, I know. We went into it. Never mind. Okay. So the next page, we deal with the Seven Soldiers of Victory, a.k.a. the Law's Legionnaires. And this is their fight with uh, the Nebula Man. And this was a story retconned by uh, Len Wein later on in Justice League where we found out their fight with the Nebula Man sent them all – got the, uh, he sent the uh, Seven Soldiers of Victory dispersed through time. And that accounted for their seemingly disappearance in the 50s and 60s. Uh, the Nebula Man is a really nice effect done here by uh, Perez and uh, the colorist, who is Tom Ziyoko, I believe, is the colorist on this book. Um, yeah, Tom Ziyoko, because the Nebula Man is just a, a, a creature, but inside he's made up of this star, painterly star effect. So it's a really nice-looking piece, and it was a, it was a, an effect really hard to do back when Nebula Man appeared in regular comics with the regular printing. But here, with the sort of nicer printing, you can get a little more of a uh, – Colorful effect. It's really, really very pretty. Uh, We talk about Black Canary and Mary and the Girl of a Thousand gimmicks about their (laughs) sort of street-level fighting crime. Then we move into the 50s, and the uh, basically the – it's not called this, but – well, it is. The House Un-American Activities Committee, HUAC, which of course went after supposed communists in Hollywood in the 50s. And here they're going after the JSA, and we see the JSA breaking up. With their heads down, bowed in shame, which is uh, very sad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then we move into sort of the spy era, where we've got uh, a Test Force X, and these are the OSS, and sort of the non, you know, superpower-based super, you know, heroes of the time. And now we're creeping into the Silver Age.
0: Be- before we move on, it's interesting to mention on this, the Seven Soldiers of Victory pay, uh, battle. I mean, that's one of the big retcons there because they lost Green Arrow. And so I think that this, isn't this where? Let's see, because you get one, two, three, four, five—only five legionnaires here. And so I think they later on they they said you know, Wing.
1: Well, there's six because you see Crimson Avenger down at the bottom.
0: One, two, three,
1: four, five. You counting the horse? No, the the guy in the yellow is Wing. Right. Yeah, and then Crimson Avenger down at the bottom, so that's six.
0: Oh, I didn't see Crimson Avenger down there. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because Wing wasn't part of the seven originally, was he?
1: No, that he's the retconned member to and replace. So is the horse. <laughs> no, it wasn't the horse. It was. uh It was. Uh, what the hell was it? It was. Uh, I think it was Stuff. I think it was Vigilante's partner Stuff. I think was, oh, the was that, one that the they one that got in. retconned in? Them? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, but they both how... did. They both Stuff and Wing got because they okay. replaced Green Arrow and Speedy.
0: I love how Vigilante's motorcycle has his name on the side. I mean, it's all about the branding. That is
1: a boss motorcycle, that thing. It really is. That thing is is. friggin' cool. That would have been a great toy. Just like, you know, you do that rev up and it shoots across. That would have
0: been cool. Oh, it's definitely one of those you pull the zipper out of the back. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: I love the uh, silhouette on the House of American Activities Committee. Oh.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Very very effective. You can effectively see Roy Cohn there waving his finger. What an asshole. So, anyway, uh, we're up to... uh, Well, he was. So... Now we're creeping up into the Silver Age, and this is this was – when I was a kid and I read the series, this was like my favorite thing because here it begins uh, – we see the, uh, Kal-El's uh, rocket landing in Smallville. We see the murder of the Wayne parents, and we see the Arthur – baby Arthur Curry discovering Atlantis. And I, what I loved about this was that this was really beefing up – Aquaman, because, mm-hmm. I mean, it was putting him on the same level as Superman and Batman. Now, of course, they had the void. They had the void there left by Wonder Woman, who was not there, because, of course, her retcon, she comes along a lot later. So they had to fill it with somebody, but I was so excited that Aquaman was sort of, Aquaman's origin story was tracked along with Superman and Batman's. I just was like, oh, man, I was just this is so cool. <laughs> I was so, so happy. Uh, so then the Phantom Stranger gets a full page. <laughs> I know. All to himself, which is amazing because I don't – I can't think of too many instances where The Phantom Stranger was ever written by War of Wolfman. So maybe he is just a favorite of Marv's and Marv just hadn't had the chance to write him. But he gets a whole page to himself. And he talks about how that the baby, Baby Kal-El, mm-hmm. young Bruce Wayne, and young Arthur Curry are wa- were watched from afar by The Phantom Stranger. Yeah. Which yeah. I really love. I love that idea.
0: There's a really interesting J.J. J. Abrams lens flare um, as, a, as a design element on this page as well. <laughs> I love lens
1: layers. Um so, <laughs> so now we're moving into the outer space. And again, you know, these are all reflecting, of course, the characters that appear in DC Comics, but also reflects the eras of publishing because DC did a lot of science fiction-y comics. And a lot of their superheroes had fiction-y, science fiction-y backgrounds because that's what was in vogue at the time. So we've got Captain Comet. So is it? I guess this is supposed to be the '50s. Is that what? Yeah, we're this looking? is the, this is solidly the '50s. yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. So um, we've got Captain Comet and we've got Martian Manhunter, which is the Frank's happy about that. The beginning of Martian Manhunter, and it, it, again, there's these continuing references. To where the other three characters are, are, are appearing. And it says, it would take, the hero- they would take the heroic appearances of the last son of Krypton, the child from Atlantis, and the orphan of Guthersley to change the climate for superheroes of Earth. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. again, Aquaman is being put in that realm. I'm so excited. I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> so then it moves on to the gods of Olympus and the birth of Wonder Woman on Paradise Island. It shows her being pulled out of the clay. By Hippolyta. So that's the beginning of Wonder Woman. And now we're getting the beginning of... of, of uh, we got Dan Garrett, who of course will become the Blue Beetle. And then it says, In America, a lost and lonely woman was chosen by an interdimensional demon known as Trigon to become his mate and the mother of his child. Which of course will be, end up being Raven. Um, although that's way in the future. And then uh, this is also the beginning of Harbinger's story. Uh, she's telling her own story. Because it talks about how she was found on a raft by the Monitor. And she yep. mentions here, the child was brought to a satellite and raised into adulthood. I am that child. So it's kind of a, kind of an ego thing to put yourself in your own history, but okay, whatever. <laughs> well, she acknowledges that later. A couple does. things on this page I want to mention.
0: Uh, Marsha Manhunter is, looks like a total boss, first of all. And it looks like the Chuck Patton Marshman Manhunter. And I wonder if Chuck Patton – like I wonder if Perez was influenced by Chuck Patton's Marshman Manhunter or this is just Perez's version. I don't know, but it looks like the Chuck Patton Marshman Manhunter to me. I don't know Hmm. if you see the influence on just the way the head is drawn and everything. Because he looks very different than he did in the 60s.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, that's how Perez kind of drew him in JLA 200. Okay. I think,
0: think, yeah. Um, And then um, a couple other things real quick. I mean, you you mentioned Wonder Wonder Woman gets mentioned. Yeah, I mean, Aquaman's dropped like a hot stone at this point. But it, it actually goes on to say they emerged as a triumvirate of power and justice. And there's a lot of arguments about when did DC start referring to them as the Trinity, you know, And this is a pretty early example, 1988, or 86, I'm sorry, I keep thinking about the reprint. But 86, where they come right out and call it a triumvirate, which is essentially a, a, a trinity. So, interesting enough. And then um, our first appearance of uh, uh, date rape, you know, with Trigon in this one. Nice, classy. That's
1: exciting. Yeah, Aquaman is pretty much, yeah, unfortunately, we'll get to that in a minute. So now the next page is a full-on Superman gets his own page. And he is flying out of... Excuse me, flying out of his giant S-shield. And then we see Metropolis in the background. And he's listed as the greatest hero of all time, Superman. So, there you go. Here's your money shot, everybody. Here he is. Uh, and then another full page, of course, is now Batman. And he's there in front of Gotham City. And then down at the bottom, we talk about his uh, the addition of his teen partner, Robin. So now we've got the big boys here. And now... With a series of smaller panels, we're just going to trip hammer through all of the major players of the DC Universe in the 60s. We've got Flash, Green Lantern, Adam, Hawkman, Woman, Captain Adam, Green Arrow, Blue Beetle, and then Aquaman is mentioned. And it's even kind of thrown away, but it's mentioned where he says, the hybrid from Atlantis finally came forth as Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, as if there was some long delay. <laughs> I don't really get that. I don't know why, well, but...
0: Well, they're, they're trying to say Batman and Superman came first, and that's that's so. what they're trying to do. Because, I mean, that's kind of the way it should go. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, on that Batman and Superman page, um, that's Superman, like, I'm struggling with if that's Perez's version of Burns Superman, because it doesn't really look that much like Burns Superman to me. I mean, it looks a lot more like, sort of, it looks like a halfway step between the Bronze Age Superman and Burns Superman. Hmm. And then Batman does not look like how Perez had ever driven Batman, drawn Batman before. This looks like he's aping Frank Miller.
1: It's a very – I mean, first of all, the color costume, he's, he's gray and black, not blue. Yep. And it's very sort of sketchy and dark. and Yeah, it's one of the more grim versions of Batman Perez has ever drawn.
0: And if you look at the bat symbol behind him, that's more in line with the Dark Knight Returns bat symbol.
1: Yes. You have the short ears and the red. Yeah. yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely.
0: So I think that was very intentional.
1: Yep. It's a great piece. So, yeah, it's Inter-
0: interesting they included Captain... At- I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, go ahead. It's interesting they included Captain Adam on the next page. As, and Blue as Beetle, because, the- yeah,
1: I mean, they got the Charlton Heroes at this point, and that's when they came along. It was the 60s. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they came along a little later, but, yeah, they're working them in. I mean, at this point, they were trying to increase those characters' name recognition because they were trying to find a venue to give them their own feature. Mm-hmm. It never actually worked. I mean, they ended up getting all their own solo titles for a brief time, but... Yeah, I mean DC was like, "Hey, we bought them. Let's let's use them." So now we're going that's, back. To, that's a change for them. Yeah, now we're going back in outer space. So we've got the Guardians of the Universe. We see the Adam Strange blasting through the center of the page. Uh, we talk about the Guardians and the Citadel. Again, more Mega Men. Uh, they and then we go back down below Earth with Cave Carson, the Challengers of the Unknown, Dolphin, and the Sea Devils. So very nice.
0: Now, that's uh, that's Starfire up there being yanked pulled away. Yes,
1: yes. Um, and now we get the formation of the Justice League, which no Superman, no Wonder Woman, uh, yeah, no, but we, no Black Canary either. Which... No Black Canary, right? Yeah, you know, they still hadn't quite reconned on that story out. Don't even get me started on that. But we see the the main heroes, including Aquaman, yay. Standing within the logo, and the other heroes are bursting out for it, and then the new members are represented by you see green uh, profiles of a uh, Green Arrow, Hawkman, and then there's a tiny little Adam sitting there. Interesting that interesting that Batman's in there. Yeah, they, they were yeah because he later was not part of the team, yep. so they didn't. Yeah, so this is really not quite so definitive as they hoped it would be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but now we're getting formation of more teams. We see the Teen Titans, the young Teen Titans, where they look like little kids, the Metal Men. Uh, and then there's a really beautiful another two-page spread where there's a lot of text in the center, just going through various characters, and each character gets its own little spire uh, from these bolt of energy that, that fills up the page, and it's it's just Perez's chance to draw everybody. Yeah, and so we got elongated man, Ultra the multi-alien, uh, bawana beast. Uh, Dial H for Hero, Zatanna, Ragman, which is he's a little early, but okay. Thunderbolt, Mira, which was interesting; she sort of gets her own thing. Metamorpho, eclipse,
0: metamorpho. metamorpho, Metamorpho.
1: The question, Prince Ra Man, uh, Eclipso, Dead Man, and there's that guy again from Deadman, Man, the guy with the big sword. You mentioned who that was? See yeah, him in the background. All right, yeah. well there you go. Oh, and, and
0: there's that weird spiritual woman behind him too. Yes, that's uh whatever the Earth Goddess thing. Yes.
1: And then Animal Man and the the Son of Vulcan and the Creeper. Just a beautiful – it's just so much fun to see Perez draw all these characters. He really didn't get to draw hardly at all. It's super fun. And now we move on to the – we're talking about King Faraday and Sarge Steel. And Sarge Steel looks like it was inked by Dick Giordano. It doesn't look like it's inked by Carl Kiesel. That looks, like That's a, true. that looks like a Dick Giordano drawing to me. So I have to wonder if if they didn't get Dick to just do that one little profile. Because that was Giordano's character. It was of mm-hmm. Steel. And then there's the, uh, the Secret Six. Uh, the, the, uh, and the, yeah, the Secret Six. I forgot about mm-hmm. the Secret Six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep I, every time I see the Secret Six, I'm thinking of the villains now. And then there's the Doom Patrol. We talk about how they ended up dying, sacrificing their lives to save. And we see young Gar... Uh, at their, uh, at their, uh, their tombstones, and then how Robot Man was eventually saved. We see the Monitor watching that, and Harbinger recording all this. Then we go on. Yes. But
0: we also got the Suicide Squad.
1: Yes, the Suicide um, Squad. Yes.
0: Yep. No, that's the reformed Suicide Squad, I should say. Right. So not not the World War II version.
1: Right. And then move on to the New Gods again with a really wonderful two page spread of the of the New Gods and the bad guys squaring off. It's Orion versus Kalabak, and then there's some inset panels featuring everybody's favorites, the Forever People, <laughs> Mr. Miracle and Big Barda, High Father and Darkseid in the background. It's just like a total kerfuffle of all these characters. There's dozens of characters just blasting the crap out of each other. It's really great. It makes you... It, it's You know, I've never been able to square with the new gods. Just, just, it just never clicked for me, but this is the kind of thing where, man, if, maybe if Perez had drawn it, maybe that would have worked. You know, because this, this is – to me, this just looks so exciting. This looks like a movie. Like, I want to see this movie. It
0: does. It does. If you read the original New God series, it's, it really works. The original Jack Kirby one, oh, it's so good. By the way, does that Forever People picture – does that look like it's by
1: Art Adams to you? It does look a little Art Adamsy to me. I mean, it can't be because this was – well, I mean, it technically could be. He was doing comics by this point, but it does look a little Art adams It
0: does. And I'm wondering if that's because – I want to say, I think Art Adams did a forever people who's who image. Like, I, I think I've seen this, like, sort of like this pan- panel redrawn by Art Adams, I swear, and maybe that's what's coloring my opinion here. I don't know. But it wasn't in Who's Who. Wasn't?
1: No, no. Maybe it was a trading card? I don't know. I don't maybe. know. Uh, so now we're going on to, talk about, we get into uh, Brainiac, the, the new version of Brainiac, and then more with the Omega Men. <laughs> <laughs> they are all over the place here.
0: What, what's going on here with Brainiac? Where it says, Brainiac... Alright, so he comes from Kalu, right? Or however you say it. And this is Brainiac was later destroyed by the Omega Men when it attacked the Vegan star system, and a second robotic being, coincidentally named Brainiac, would be created two years after the first one was destroyed. This Brainiac, unlike its predecessor, had its origins as much in the laboratories of Earth as in the stars.
1: Yeah, is I that, don't know. I don't know what that is. I'm not familiar that enough the, with Brainiac.
0: Maybe that's the the beginnings of the early post-crisis Brainiac, but I remember yeah. that had to do with Milton Fine and st- I don't.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Superman fans out there, let us know. There's a, okay. there's a bunch of you out there. Uh, we see uh Robot Man's body being discovered by Will Magnus and the creation of the new Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. And then there's we've got a sort of collection of '70s characters again. It's tiny little inset panels. We've got Black Lightning, Rose and Thorn. A really nice, moody, long panel of Swamp Thing, beautifully colored. But yes. Tom Zioko. It's just something, just sort of uh, as he's called the sentient man monster, but it's he's like in front of a sunset. It's really very, very nice. Really well done.
0: There's so a lot of usage of nice red skies in this. By the way, um the, the new Doom Patrol, they did not touch the new design for the body that was a ripoff of John Burns. Oh, oh never mind. It's
1: there, ghostly in uh serpent, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, behind him, yeah. I
0: didn't even notice that. Yeah. Oh look at that.
1: Uh, we also see the manhunter. And he's got a gun pointing off the panel, and then there's also a peacemaker. And then there's a collection of the detective characters. Johnny Thunder, Tim Trench, Harvey Bullock is there. Uh, what is something like, I forget, uh, Paul Kurt. Yeah, well, the Manhunter and stuff. Human, so,
0: human Target, and that one of them there Human too. Target, and yeah. Jason yeah. Bard. And yeah.
1: So it gets into all that stuff. And now, of course, in the panel Woo-hoo! it says, what makes a hero? And then for some reason it has a picture of Firestorm. So oh. – uh, <laughs>
0: Firestorm and Firehawk. And, and Firehawk, new yeah. New costume that she got in Crisis. So this is sort of, you know, touching upon her post-Crisis costume.
1: Yep. And then there's Warlord. Yay! And uh, Shag's favorite, the Atomic Knight. Oh, and geez. gems Gem son of Saturn, which Another no one, one nobody, nobody cared about. <laughs> <laughs> and then Baron Winters, of course, from Night Force. And this gets into the whole thing of what makes a hero, which is sort of like, you know, allowing for different types of people to be considering themselves superheroes so you've got again warlord firestorm atomic knight and baron and baron winters are all very different kinds of creatures and yet they're all considered sort of superheroes in their own way uh Some
0: really cool design elements going on in these two pages like yes. you talked about the, the simonson manhunter up there he's pointing to the right priest hunters pointing to the left there's a shirkin going one direction behind him peacemaker's going got a bullet going the other way then you've got with the panels with uh, Warlord and Gem are paralleled with the pa- panels below with the Atomic Knight and Baron Winters, which is really nice. And by the way, huge retcon right here with Atomic Knight talks about uh, he, rather than being from an alternate future where the world's been destroyed, he was born from the nightmarish fears of nuclear disaster.
1: Yep. yep. Yeah, well, right, because that future is no longer part of our history, part of this exactly. history. So then we got uh, Amethyst. Find mm-hmm. finding making her way to Gemworld and Raven, uh, yep. her introduction. Halo Shade the Changing Man gets a lot of space considering he was really a fairly minor character, but uh, and and this that looks kind of Ditko-y. So it's again Perez aping aping a style uh, to reflect, you know, you know the creative creator.
0: They could have stuck him on the seventies heroes page.
1: Yeah, you know? uh, he I don't know what he he gets a little more space than he really deserved.
0: Well, I think they're building up for him in the Suicide Squad at this point, probably.
1: Maybe, maybe. And now another full page, and this time it's for Captain Marvel, or a.k.a. Shazam, as he's now known permanently, uh, given quite a lot of space. I mean, he's given just as much space as Superman. So
0: Well, I think they had high hopes for him. They I mean, did. I Legends is being published at this point. When this is being done, um, and this is going to come on later, is Legends is actually on the shelves. It's not done yet. But that leads into a Captain Marvel miniseries.
1: Right, the one by Roy Thomas and uh, yep. Tom Andrick. Next is a full page of the Teen Titans, and as you can might imagine, Prez pulls out all the stops for this one. In terms of the design, we see the Titans. T- we see a big T in the background, uh, and it's got all the characters from all the various iterations: Jericho. Uh, who? What's left to say after Jericho? But Cole and Terra, Aqualad and Aqua Girl, as sort of posing as these sort of like cherubim kind of things on the sides. Hawk, Robin, Raven, Starfire, Azrael, Lilith, Changeling, Cyborg. I mean, it's just. Prez is, this is clearly Perez is like, just enjoying the hell out of this. Because these are his babies. These are his and Wolfman's characters. So they get a full-on page to themselves. And to be fair,
0: it's only the new Teen Titans. Because you don't get Mal. You don't get Bumblebee. You know, these are the characters that appeared in the new Teen Titans.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, Speedy wasn't really that much of a member of the new Teen Titans. But he was there. He was there. He, so he even got true. a cover or two to himself. Yeah, that's true. That's Yeah, it's not Mal or Bumblebee or Joker's, Joker's daughter. Golden Eagle. All those winners. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, and then now we're getting into hero teams where we've got Batman and the Outsiders, the Detroit version of Justice League, which, you know, (laughs) I'm not sure this really needed a whole half page for just the Detroit Justice League, but it's nice to see Aquaman. uh, Bite your tongue. Yeah. Bite your tongue.
0: No, it's beautiful because Batman was the connection to both teams. Yes. Because at this point, Batman had led the JLD for a little while. Yep. Um, I mean, it's not, I mean, it, you got, vi- I mean, Perez drawing vibe. I didn't think I'd ever see it's that. It's a
1: beautiful though. drawing. I mean, it, yeah. of course it is. It's George Perez doing it, so it's really. And this is my first Justice League, man. You okay. know? All right. When
0: I was reading it on a regular basis, I, this picture gets me so excited for what the potential they had. If they had had good, solid stories, wait, they
1: would have lasted for All one. right, all right, let's not go down that road, please. Uh, so, and now next up is a full page is the, gold, the uh, Global Guardians. And this is sort of done in a very. <laughs> Like slightly ham-handed way, in that there's there's so many characters it in this page with so many different flags that each flag is numbered, and then down at the bottom is a little key. So well, like, they Whoa. figure a thirteen-year-old
0: kid's not going to know what the flag to yeah. you know <laughs> Brazil looks like. Yeah,
1: so it's well Bush. Well, they don't know that it doesn't list the countries. It That's doesn't true. It has the characters, so it's like you know it says up there one in parentheses and you look down. Oh, Bushmaster, Godiva, Green Flame, Irons, Icebane, Doctor Miss, Red Star. So it's got everybody, all the all the Global Guardians characters. You know, Harbinger remembering that, oh, yeah, there is other countries. It's not all just the United States. You know? Do these guys
0: merit a page at this point? I mean, I know they appeared in the Super Friends, but, like, anywhere else? <laughs> had they Did they ever appear in Justice
1: League? Uh, well...
0: I mean, they had a who's who entry. I know that. Yeah,
1: and they were going to end up... Green, Green. I mean, Fire and Ice. Of course, were going to become part of the. Yes, New they were about to fairly yes. soon. And I always wondered why DC didn't try and publish these characters in foreign con- in not in the their home countries, mm. and see if that had worked. You know what I mean? Like instead of publishing Superman and Batman, which I mean, not that they couldn't have done that as well, but like if they had published Seraph comics mm-hmm. in Israel. Would would that have been a hit? It might have been because, like, I think those countries probably weren't used to getting their own superheroes.
0: Tasmanian Devil and Australia, yeah. Maybe know. they just didn't have the distribution.
1: Well, no, they did because they published comics. They did publish comics down there, but they published American superheroes. Yeah, I guess so. That's what I'm true. saying is why not? You know, why not yeah. take a flyer and say, well, hey, hey, uh, you know, Greenland, here's your own superhero. <laughs> Try that. I don't know. I don't know if they ever did that. Maybe they did, not it didn't work.
0: I'm sure whichever country, is that Norway that had Little Mermaid? Is that who that
1: was? I think so.
0: They're probably like, no thanks. Really?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we're going through a bunch of smaller characters. They look like they're all done on um, TV screens. Yes, they do. Because, again, we're heading into, like, the 70s and 80s, so it's kind of a TV era. There's Blue Devil. Shag's excited. Woo! Power Girl, Black Orchid, Vigilante. She's still excited when you say yes. Power Girl, but. Airwave, the Vigilante, the Red Tornado, was a little bit out of place. I mean, he Red Tornado came along in the '60s. I don't know why he's pushed back all the way here into the '80s. Maybe because <laughs> he was up the pawn of the uh, Anti Monitor, who makes his first appearance here down at the bottom of the page. <laughs> But he was a '60s character, said so. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, now we're up into the Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is this massive two-page spread of of all of these the shadow demons flying out with, under the control of the Monitor, and he's it's just I mean, it, you know, it's it's Perez get You know, this is the kind of thing where you would not you you could not have blamed Perez if he had taken two pages from Crisis and just reprinted it, <laughs> but he redraws it. He you know the man is no slacker. And in the background is this really wonderfully painterly sky pattern, which I have to assume is the work of again colorist Tom Ziyoko, making the place look like it's you know burning hell. It's yeah. a really really great image.
0: I want to talk about these pages for a couple of minutes here because uh, first of all, the writing is a little off because it talks about five universes remain them with and with them five Earths. That shouldn't be in here. Now they can talk about the crisis. And the anti-monitor trying to destroy the Earth and the parallel universe of the antimatter universe. But there shouldn't be five Earths mentioned here. Because the crisis didn't happen this way in the DCU at this point. They acknowledged there still was a crisis. And, of course, the people who went back to the dawn of the time still remember the, the pre-crisis origins for a while. But at this point in, in regular DCU, there was a crisis, but it had nothing to do with parallel worlds. Right. Right. So, they, in fact, I, this, this may be the first time they acknowledged parallel Earths in the whole book. It's almost <laughs> like the editor just didn't catch it or something. <laughs> and then uh, the art, I love the art. Uh, the art, first of all, I, you, you said all the glorious things. Now I'm going to poke fun at it. Okay. I love how, um, like in the top left, you know, uh, Skyman or, or Star Spangled Skid, whatever he's calling himself at that time, is like climbing out a window as if that's going to get him to the fight. Um, I love how like the metal men and our men are stuck on top of a roof, but they're pointing at the anti-monitor based on his side is clearly miles away. (laughs) But, you know, all these people on rooftops that are just ready to get him, but they're, you know, Vixen stalking him on a water tower. Really? You know, you're about 10 miles from his location. Is that water tower really going to help you in any way, shape or form?
1: I can't fly, but if I could, I would so be in there.
0: Right, creeper hanging off the side of a building. Hawk on a on a balcony.
1: You know, like really, what is that? What is that
0: doing for you in this fight, whatsoever? So <laughs> hmm. cracks me up. Ooh, I just thought of another retcon that didn't that caught up with them later. The Hawks, because in a couple of years after this, with Hawk World, they established that Hawkman and Hawk Girl in the Justice League was the same Hawkman and Hawk Girl from JSA who just continued on and joined the other team. That's right. That's right. So that's like, as you said, it's all still not as definitive.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now we're moving on to the Guardians. Uh, I mean, the uh, the Green Lantern Corps. Because at this point, the Green Lantern title had been moved into Green Lantern Corps, so they were focusing more on the other characters just as much as how Jordan's so they got Kilowog and Chip and Com- uh, Katmatui and John Stewart and Aresia, and I forget that <laughs> that weird bug guy, Salak.
0: Salak or whatever. Salak, something yeah. like that. But Aresia in her
1: adult phase. As Hal's girlfriend, which mm. creepy as hell. It just uh, is. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and then the, the introduction of Lady Quark and Pariah gets another appearance. Thank God. Oh, oh, wondering, I, wondering where he was. I have to scan this in for Barry. <laughs> uh, the, and now we're getting into, um, I think I've said that a million times, the sort of new versions of these characters. We've got the, the uh, female Dr. Light, the appearance of Booster Gold with a cape. Yep, he which, had a cape originally. Did he have a cape? I forgot that. Okay. And Wildcat, the uh, Yolanda Montez version of Wildcat. The Omega Men get another page, this time Woof. all to themselves. Oh, they're so uh, lucky. He talks about the Spider Guild. Yeah, I mean, more Wolfman is clearly playing favorites here because the Omega Men just don't need this level <laughs> But uh, their, their
0: book couldn't even have been selling that well at this the point. The Spider
1: Guild is really well done because, and they're they're up in the uh, top right of the page, and they're they're done in these little magenta silhouettes dripping into the page. So it's like they're nice and creepy as hits uh. the Spider Guild. Yeah, it's really very nice. This is Primus during his sting phase too. <laughs> and now we have the JSA fighting uh, the uh, fighting the the giant fire god in Valhalla, which would end up being <sighs> supposedly their final appearance, but of course that didn't work out.
0: One of the but, greatest crimes of comic book history.
1: Yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, I can't defend that. I mean, it's like Roy Thomas did his best to to make a fix for something, yeah. but yeah, it didn't. It just didn't. Didn't really work. I, I get why they did it, and yeah.
0: and honestly, it may have been
1: better because
0: we didn't get several years of bad JSA stories. So maybe it was better to let them rest for a while. Mm. And so when they came back, it was so much more triumphant. But it's just it's still a bit of a crime. Yeah,
1: that Spectre looks very Tom Mandrake in the back. It's very scratchy. Yeah, he's in the background. Yeah, it does look. It does look. Yeah, you're right. It does well,
0: maybe maybe they were going for like a Kaluta look or something. Because wasn't wasn't he drawing the Specter book?
1: Yeah, uh, soon Specter was soon going to get a new format title. Not quite. Oh yet, yeah, but hadn't pretty happened. Pretty yet, close. And the covers okay. were by Kaluta, so yeah, it could be. Hmm. And we see Doctor Fate, Infinity Inc. Uh, once again, Wildcat. Yolanda will makes another appearance as Wildcat, and twice in two pages. Northwind. Yay! And then we move on to a full page of legends uh, cross promotion, and it's uh, the two main f- sort of figures of that story, which is Darkseid and Phantom Stranger standing there together, and they talk about uh, Darkseid's plan to destroy the, the the villains, you know, destroy the heroes through their public image. And he says, Darkseid's dreams of glory faded, but from his fevered wish to destroy the fabrics of legend, new ones were given birth. Now we see the new Justice League, which is Batman, Doctor Fate, Blue Beetle, Captain Marvel, et al. And the new Suicide Squad, which is again now made up of all villains, coming soon to a theater near you. Uh, very, very nice drawn. And now we're on another full page, and it's finally the introduction of Wonder Woman. And this- Prez just really goes to town once again, like he did on Teen Titans. He just—I think—he's really enjoying himself on the Wonder Woman page because it's just—it's very it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, and he's, you know, very early on in Wonder Woman's appearances, so yeah. Now, the interesting thing is Legends isn't over yet no. at this point. And Justice League hasn't even come out yet. That's right. So this is, I mean, I wonder if this was like one of the earliest peaks of what the team was going to be. I mean, I, don't, I don't, the promotional posters must have been out by this point already, probably. But it's just like, you know, releasing the ish, images of the teams before the books came out, which is kind of interesting.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I never really thought of it, but yeah, you're right, you're right. Uh, Wonder Woman gets, uh, th- th- the text is, uh, f- f- what's the word I'm looking for? Like falling over itself to be complimentary. Yeah. It's like, you know, then this is the stuff of legends. This is Wonder Woman. So, I mean, clearly DC was like, okay, we are dusting this character off. No more low sales. She's going to be one of the big three. So. Well,
0: I mean, also Perez, the artist was writing the book. So he may have right. said, you know, Marv, I'll write this page for you.
1: Could be. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And then Harbinger continues to talk. And now we move into the future. Because at this point, we're at 1987. Yep. So we're moving into the future Hex. <laughs> the future <laughs> Hex makes an appearance. And now we're going into the sci-fi. The fun characters, as we talked about in Who's Who. Chris Kale, 99. The Star Rover. Star Hawkins. Space Cabbie. Woo! OMAC. Tommy Tomorrow. Rip Hunter. I mean, uh, Tommy, yeah, Tommy Tomorrow and the Planeteers. Space Ranger. Booster Gold. I mean, it's all super, super just the fun little side, guys.
0: And you know what? There's a nice nod here to a change in history, because most of you probably know this already. Commandy was wiped out of history and replaced with Tommy Tomorrow. And you see the you know the Space Rangers or whatever, or the Planet in Tears, finding a young boy, young Tommy tomorrow in Command D Bunker, which is where his name Commandy came from originally in the other series. So they find Tommy Tomorrow in Command D bunker, and instead of becoming Commandy, he becomes Tommy
1: Tomorrow. Yep, yeah, that's right. You can see him right there talking to this guy. So Yep. Uh, and then they move on to the Legion, who gets two pages. Beautiful. Very nice. I mean really beautiful. Even for someone who despises the Legion <laughs> as much as I do. I was say, wow, you're being complimentary, it's, huh? It's very hey, I know pretty art when I see it. Uh, and then you see all the Legion symbols represented, and then there's a little memorial down at the bottom to the dead members of the team. Pharaoh Lad, Invisible Kid, and Karate Kid, et al. Chemical and, King. Chemical King. Uh, Yeah, I mean, this is beautiful. You've got everybody. Telus, Colossal Boy, you know, Bounce. And once again, he, Prez loved symmetry. So you've got Wildfire flying off to the left-hand side of the page, up in the air. And then he's matched on the right-hand side by uh, Sun Boy. So, and then, in terms of flying characters, you see Bouncing Boy on the one page, and then Queen Project on the other. So he just loved that kind of thing. He loved that balance.
0: Yep. And you get like you know Invisible Kid on the right is invisible, and on the left you got Phantom Girl, who's not invisible, but she's translucent uh, because she's you know being trans, uh, you know phasing and stuff. It all it all works quite well.
1: Yep. Uh, and now this is the uh, Mort part of history because we talk about <laughs> the heroes of Lalore. And the Wanderers. I really can't believe that Harbinger felt that this stuff needed to be recorded. I'm sorry. Uh, She's not too bright. Yeah. The Kunz. And then there is a wonderful silhouette of Darkseid. Where it says, some evil cannot be destroyed. Great Darkseid, the destroyer, survived for centuries. His ultimate vanquishment has never been recorded. Which, I dig that. And it's just a silhouette of him in front of a red background. And it's a really, really nice image.
0: You want me to mess up this drawing for you? Look at his thumb. The way he's bent his thumb, his tip of his thumb. Yeah. Imagine that his thumb's not actually bent, but he's holding like a pistachio, and he's about to pop it in his mouth like he's eating it. Okay. Kind of ruins the picture, doesn't it?
1: No, not really. Okay. Good. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Good. Uh, (laughs) Perez used this effect before. This red uh, in front of a sort of splotchy black thing. If you look at the same, if you look at the panel uh, that he did in Crisis Number Seven of Superman holding the dead Supergirl. There's a panel of him, Superman, screaming into the heavens, and it's silent, and it's done in the same manner where it's all in silhouette with just a red background and these sort of splotchy back uh, black spots. And mm. it's, it's, it's a trick that he used that always worked. So, you know, okay. I'm going to keep doing it. I remember it because it's one of my favorite Prez images, just that simple shot. And now we're filling into the far-flung future back of the Space Rangers. Green Lantern is still operating in the future. Nope. Uh, because he, he jumped ahead in time. Yes. Yeah. Paul, Paul, Manning. Was that what his name was?
0: Or he, um, he had a different name. He would go to the future Yeah. and he had a different name and I'm surprised they didn't wipe it from continuity. Um, I, I think it was Paul Manning if I remember right. So it was a whole weird storyline where he's a different guy in the future.
1: Yeah. Now, how did space ranger score two pages? That's a good question. Yeah. He gets two, he gets two appearances. Mm hmm. I don't know. Everybody just likes Space Ranger, I guess. I do. Yeah. (laughs) Abracadabra. And then the Time Trapper. Mm -hmm. And then now, and then after... So, the Time Trapper is basically the last character listed in the history of the DC Universe. And it ends with... uh, That makes
0: sense. He sits at the end of time.
1: There you go. And then Harbinger is sitting here, and she places her journal in this little... Not, well, it is a rocket. It's a circular thing. But she talks about that she's fulfilled the monitor's last request by putting all this history into this little chamber. And she sends it hurtling into space. And it says, In so filling, I have learned the truth. The stuff of heroes is, is within us all. The willingness to go beyond the normal routine and lend help to those who need it. Give food to the hungry. Freedom to the oppressed. Safety to the victim. Peace to the survivors of war. I remember, as a child, the so-called golden rule: "Do unto others as you would have them do unto you." To be a hero is to live by those words. It is simple as that. I bid you now farewell. And the last panel is the this journal flying off into deepest space, and never that, to
0: be never to be seen again. Never until to be on seen. Again. picks it up in Infinite Crisis. Oh God! I so, know.
1: So, and that, let's ignore that. So, and that's the <laughs> end of the history of the DC universe.
0: Wow! Impressive. I really enjoyed rereading this, especially now that we've done Crisis. I mean, I, I've said this before. Like, I thought I knew the DC universe pretty well until we did Crisis. I mean, not Crisis until we did Who's Who. And it's just like, wow, there's so much stuff I just didn't pay attention to. You know, Balloon Busters, one of my favorite examples. You know, just like, wow. So seeing here, I mean, knowing pretty much every single character that they squeezed into this book now, it just it has so much more meaning. And I just – I love
1: it. absolutely love this book. Um, did you enjoy rereading it? I did. I, I mean I really enjoyed it at the time. It was, it's, a, it's a picture book. I mean it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a text-heavy picture book, but it's essentially a picture book. It's a time for Perez to really let loose as if he didn't have chances to do that before. But it, it's uh, – I can only ima- – and I say this about a million other things. I can imagine what this might have looked like as a treasury edition. Like oh, how yeah. How amazing this, this could, that might have yeah. been to see in a giant format because Perez just really goes to town. And there's some panels that really lose something by being reproduced so small. Yeah. And yeah, uh, it might right. even need to see this at 10 by 13, you know. So. And it's probably not too big to
0: do it, just being two issues. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to go ahead and step into this collected edition here, as I mentioned at the top of the show, and we're, we're going to breeze through this fairly quickly, but there is a good amount of pages here done as essays, sort of celebrating the history of the DC Universe, and the introduction is by Marv Wolfman, and he talks about, basically, back in 1981, how he there was a lot of feeling that the DC Universe was too, too confusing, and that was sort of the genesis for, for Crisis, and it's been documented a lot of other places, so I'm not going to go into the details of that, but basically... He then goes into basically saying he wanted the History of the DC Universe book as an art book with some text, and he felt like it merited being collected. Too long is where – what he's saying is too long comics have been disposable, and he felt like this deserved to be something to be cherished and hung on to for a long time. So.
1: Yeah, it's uh, – he mentions here – he mentions a little bit about the different characters, and he, he throws in about the uh, – the heroes that survived in the '50s. He says only a handful continued: Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Black Hawk, Green Arrow, Aquaman, and then perhaps one or two more.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah.
1: So, so. I think Kongorilla maybe.
0: Uh, not as a continuous publication, maybe. <laughs> no. Okay. Then coming up next, we, we leave Marv Wolfman's two-page introduction, and we get um, a lot of one-pagers. What you get is on the left-hand side here. This is, By the way, this is called Filling the Void, the Non-Essentials. On the left-hand side is Superman, drawn by Neil Adams. On the right-hand side is his article. Um, not a lot to say on this one. It's sort of a weird read because he talks about basically comic book creators are parasites uh, feeding off of the public because comics are not essential. And I, I get his point but he hits it for so long it gets a little little yucky.
1: You get the sense these were not written for the public. It, it, to me the a lot of these essays feel like they're written by creators for creators, not mm. not written to be read by the average person. That that's the <laughs> that's the feeling I got from some of these essays.
0: Could be. I mean, Graffiti Designs was known as a sort of a, a different kind of company, so maybe
1: uh Yeah, maybe I mean that's... at the at the price point this thing was at, the average reader could not afford it. So That's it, true. I mean, that's I couldn't. Point. I couldn't afford it. I heard of it. I remember it was. Out. I remember when it was out. But I was like, "There's no chance I could buy it because it was expensive." So that's that's kind of how it feels. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like the kind of thing Neil Adams would write to the average comics fan. It just felt a little more. And some mm-hmm. of the other ones get a little grim too.
0: Yeah, good point. Uh, next up is a four pager by Julie Schwartz, and if anyone deserves the four pages, it's him. And this is probably my favorite piece in in this section with the essays. He goes on to talk about how back in 1944 he was 29 years old and he had never read a comic book as he was going in for an interview to work for a comic book company. He had been working as an agent for sci-fi writers. And some of you may already know this, but I always found this fascinating. He was an agent for sci-fi writers and had helped sell 70 Ray Bradbury stories. He had sold some stories for Robert Heinlein, H.P. Lovecraft. I mean, how cool is that? So he got his hands on some comics, and Wynn did his interview with Sheldon Mayer, and ended up getting the job, and he he thinks part of the way he got his job was that Sheldon's secretary, Gene, was very complimentary of him, and he says this sort of tongue-in-cheek as Gene goes on to be his wife later on.
1: Have you ever seen pictures of her? No. Yowza.
0: Really? Yeah. Okay. Good job, Julie. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. Well played. Married up. Um, You know, I got to to meet um, uh, Julie not too long before he died at a convention, and got to see him speak, and... He just, wow. Just even at his age at that point in, you know, like 2003, he was still a great speaker and full of interesting stories. So, and anyway, and it goes on here. I'm sorry. What are you I'm um,
1: just going to say, Julie's, uh, I, I call him Julie. Uh, his essay is dotted with little headshots from the poster. So you yep. see um, Wonder Woman drawn by Perez, Aquaman drawn by Paul Norris for the last time, Sergeant Rock, Rorschach, Blackhawk, Lady Blackhawk, Captain Marvel. It's really a nice, they're a nice little... Little features on this for this uh, essay.
0: That lady Blackhawk, Brian Ballen. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, um, he talks about how for him it's interesting. He says about talks about the Silver Age and how you know people say that Showcase number four is the beginning of the Silver Age. He says for him though, the beginning of the Silver Age was a morning conference. Mort Weisinger, Jack Schiff, Murray Boldenoff, where they sit around talking about what to do, and someone had the idea to bring back the Flash, and he got tapped to write it. So for him, that's where the Silver Age began, which was just kind of an interesting thing. Talks about how he was writing the new-look Batman, and how he had killed Alfred. And how he brought in Aunt Harriet to sort of fend off the whole accusations about three boys living together. And then the TV show exploded on, on the scene, and they wanted Alfred the Butler. So we had to find a way to bring Alfred the Butler back, which is where, you, where The, outsider yeah, the outsider, outsider yeah, became Alfred, which you and I have criticized before in Who's Who. So now we understand why The Outsider became Alfred, which is funny. And it was all because of the Batman TV show. And interestingly enough, he stole the idea – or not stole, but the, the Outsider idea – was inspired by a Lovecraft story. Neat. Pretty cool. So I love this essay quite a bit. Then you get an, uh, a piece written by Jerry Siegel. And on the left-hand side, you've got the you know a traditional drawing of Superman with the eagle on his arm by Joe Schuster. But it's a nice piece by Jerry Siegel. Um, and um, oh, wait, I'm sorry. I skipped something with uh, Julie Schwartz. I want to go back one second. Julie Schwartz was talking about how uh, he did some of the changes to Superman, like making him work for WGBS and stuff like that, and how some of them weren't very popular. And so, how he had to kind of, it didn't work, so he had to kind of go back and change those things. But he tells this story about what the, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, and how he was telling Alan Moore about it, and Alan Moore like choked him and threatened and said, Julie, you can't, you have to let me write this and no one else. <laughs> how bizarre. So, I'm sorry. Now no, we're I'm on Jerry. J- now we're on Jerry sequel. Um, nice piece from him. Talks about how Superman really was created in 1932. That's where the ideas of Superman go back as far. Right. Um. If the ideas really didn't come, to, they fully came together in 34, and of course, we didn't see publication until 38. But as a strip, and they talk about how they try to sell it and stuff like that. And um, I still go back to the fact, you know, Philip Wiley's book Gladiator was published in 1930. You, you can't deny that. You know, as you as you look and compare. Have you ever read Gladiator? No. It I mean it reads like Golden Age Superman. It mm. really does. I I've, I've read the book myself and was just astounded and now there's no evidence that says that they took the ideas from there, but there's a lot of circumstantial evidence. I've seen people put cases together before. So, you know, how were they deeply inspired by that book? Maybe but everyone's inspired by something somehow.
1: Yeah. yeah. So
0: um you wanna talk about the Bill, the Bob Kane
1: piece? Yeah, there's a there's this Bob Kane essay, you probably got somebody else to write it. Uh the drawing <laughs> The drawing is – there's a there's an accompanying drawing by Dick Sprang, which I just love. I am just – I've always been a huge fan of Dick Sprang, even during when I was in my, like, Batman is the Dark Grim Avenger of the Night crap. Uh, Dick Sprang – I still love Dick Sprang. And this has got Batman – Two-Face. Oh my. oh, my god, yeah. He's got Batman and Robin swinging into this great Gotham City cityscape, and then there's the Penguin, Two-Face, and Joker. And it's just gorgeous. It's just – I just could stare at it all day. I just love – this this piece, um, yeah. So you got Bob Kane talking about how he created Batman and yada yada yada. And you know, I did it all myself because I'm awesome and I'm Bob Kane. So you know, uh, but the, the the Dick Sprang piece is what makes it worth it. Now, it's something worth mentioning here if you've noticed. All the artists represented here so far in this this edition, yeah, did nothing for who's who. Mm. None of them: Neil Adams, Joe yeah. yeah. Schuster, Dick yeah. Sprang. We're going to later get on to uh, Ramona Fraiden. Yeah. So they were all available to do the to do these ups, but know who's who. Okay. Which is really sad because that would have been amazing. I mean, wouldn't it have been amazing if they had gotten Joe Schuster to draw the Superman entry? The, the Earth, whoa, you yeah. know, but well, oh, was he still man. alive. I, yes, because this yeah. is an old Joe Schuster. That's an old drawing, but Schuster was still alive as of yeah. They were mm-hmm. both still alive at this point. Okay. Yeah. Schuster didn't die until around uh, – he died almost the exact same time they killed Superman uh, in yeah. the death of Superman. So, I mean, he probably wasn't drawing much because yeah. he know he lost his eyesight. But even if you exclude Schuster, Dick Sprang didn't do anything for who's who. Yeah. Or, or Neil Adams glaring omission over Ramona Fraiden. So it's it's kind of strange.
0: This Dick spraying picture is just, yeah. amazing. and it's still that Two Face one. I mean, it looks like something R. Crumb drew. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just, really it's pretty horrific. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah.
1: looks it looks like it hurts. Yeah, that, that his face. And it should. Oh, that
0: that would make sense. Yeah. Now I have to, I have to ask you, you, you the way you described this piece by Bob Kane. Forgive me, but did you read it? I did. Okay, because there's a couple things in here that are. People talk about when they
1: talk about this book, this is the page they talk about, right? Because he does mention. I, I was being a little busy, He does mention. Okay. I called in my friend Bill Finger, who was a pulp writer, just starting to write up for the books. He made several suggestions, which enhanced my crude Batman sketch. So he does give Finger credit, uh, and then he, he also mentions. Uh, he talks about uh, that Bill created many of the bizarre supervillains, such as the Joker, Scarecrow, and Catwoman. I created the Penguin Riddler, uh, and collab- we collaborated uh on other villains along the way and he mentions i regret i did not give bill a byline which he richly deserved but somehow but somehow the Mm -hmm. policy in those days was to give credit only to the original creator and not to the writers who came in after the fact bill i wish you were around now for me to give you your just dues for your invaluable input into batman i thank you now and god bless you eternally
0: that's the paragraph right there starting with i regret i did not give bill a byline that just everyone screams about, and maybe that's the evidence that they used that now Bill Finger's credited with the creation of Batman mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> Big deal right there. Yeah, because Bob Kane did, I mean, you probably already heard all this, folks, but Bob Kane did everything he could to make sure no one got any credit for Batman except for himself. And also, this is, this is also an era, by the way, it's kind of, as you read these articles, you forget, this is two years before, or no, three years before the Batman movie. Two. Well, if it's eighty six,
1: well, it's that's well, all right. That's yeah. Well, no, because it was published in eighty seven.
0: No, it wasn't. It was yeah. covered dated eighty six, eighty seven. Actually, released in eighty six.
1: No, I talked about it at the top of the show. I don't care what you said. <laughs> Read Mark Wolfman's date. Oh,
0: oh, I'm sorry. Never mind. Yes, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm i Yes. yes. I'm, I keep forgetting the collected edition. Yes, collected edition. If you're Shag
1: right. says it. It's true. <laughs>
0: Was written in '87, released in '88, even. So, oh, this was, but yeah. there's mention here. He goes, "Batman's about to be on the big screen." There's a lot of talk in some of these pieces about how they want Batman to be taken seriously and not the Biff Pam, you know, yeah. Pow one, which is ironic because now it's almost like we're sort of going backwards a bit with the Batman '66 comic book.
1: Hmm. So he, he says he mentions that the forthcoming blockbuster Batman movie, which yep. of course would end up being true. It's one of the few true things Bob Kane ever said. <laughs> Uh, Then there's an essay by Joe Kubert featuring an absolutely astonishing Sergeant Rock plus other characters. Uh, This thing is just simply gorgeous. We're going to have to put this one on the Tumblr. It's Sergeant Rock plus Easy Company plus the Haunted Tank uh, characters. Or the one guy. I think the guy in the background has got the Haunted Tank. Uh, The Balloon Buster. uh, Mademoiselle Marie. I mean, it is uh, Captain Captain Storm Storm. from The Losers. It is Pooch. 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 <laughs> Pooch is there. He looks very happy. He's got his tongue out. Um, it is just a beautiful drawing. It is one of my favorite. Uh, I, I only saw this one recently, but this is already one of my favorite Joe Kubert and Sergeant Rock pieces ever. It just, It's just beautiful. I don't think it's inked. I think it's colored, and I think it's penciled and then colored. I don't believe it's actually been inked. So yeah, it is, is really, rock. really, really, really beautiful. It's colored by Adam. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Oof. So he talks about his career in comics and he really basically focuses on Sergeant Rock and the SA but he also mentions Flash, Hawkman, Hawk, Wildcat, Doctor Fate and Sargon the sorcerer foo the many characters I illustrated even before they become part of the DC line.
0: I thought his piece was pretty funny. I enjoyed his piece yeah. quite a bit. Then we get into Roy Thomas's uh, Captain Marvel piece. It's a very short piece, really. And he just talks about some of the Captain Marvel history and how popular it was and things like that and he Marvel bunny and, you know, that kind of jazz. So, you know how much I love Captain Marvel. Yeah. Next. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> then we get a nice piece by Paul Levitz about the Legion of Superheroes and just sort of talks about uh, how they came about and the Club of Teenagers and just some, some more of the history of the them and, and their start. And, you know, and then he mentions, you know, briefly Jim Shooter and folks like that. But they're, oh, you know, I forgot to mention, I'm sorry, the the art. I didn't mention the, the Captain Marvel piece by Kurt Schaffenberger, which is beautiful. It's, yes. You know, Captain Marvel, Mary Marvel, and Captain Marvel Jr. flying with the cloud behind him. Very simple, uh, but yet very pretty, and, and really evocative of the 50s Captain Marvel. It's very nice. The Legion piece is by Steve Lytle, and it's absolutely gorgeous. You know, you've got lightning glass in the foreground flying with shooting lightning electricity. You've got Dawnstar prominent and Timberwolf. Then sort of in the background you get uh Mon-El and Wildfire and... and Saturn Girl, several of the Legionnaires, and you see their headquarters. Oh, in the foreground, you get Quizlet as well, of course.
1: What is that Velociraptor looking thing?
0: Well, I think what that's supposed to represent that is Quizlet taking over that robot and becoming. Because remember, Quizlet had the ability to put himself in, like, take over other robots. And, no, and, and I have no idea. Oh well, that, we picked yeah. that up. We picked that up from Who's Okay. And there's some very pretty coloring going on in the background with like sort of a swirly, like Monet almost kind of sky. You know, mm-hmm. by Phil Dewalt. So nice piece, like that one. Then you get a really, really nice piece by Len Wein about the Swamp Thing. And the art on the other side, Steve Bissett and John toddlebin. Wow. This thing knock your socks off? Yeah, this is beautiful. Beautiful yeah. piece. And uh, he, he talks about his uh, where he got his ideas for Swamp Thing. Because Len Wein created Swamp Thing. And talks about the creation of him and the writing of it. And how basically him and um, uh, Bernie Wrightson, is that right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but basically, they, they did their one story, and DC was demanding an ongoing, and they kind of put their heels in and said, no, we're not doing it. The story didn't, doesn't demand a sequel. And in this day and age, like, really? You're turning down money? You're turning down money? You know? And uh, then, you know, he even jokes about that. He was sort of saying, like, what was I thinking? So, and uh, it's just a nice piece. He's talking about Swamp Thing. I enjoyed it. And Len Wein's always, he's always clever and fun. Then you get a piece by Jack Kirby. Which is uh on the left hand side is art of jack by jack this Jack Kirby and Steve rue nice combo yeah, yeah, i mean it's uh it's a, it's a little it is a nice combo it it look, everyone looks a little bit not a hundred percent on model because it's the two combined I think. But it's still, the line work is gorgeous, and, you know, the composition's great. You got, you know, Darkseid, of course, and he's, like, smashing his, he's about to smash his palm with his fist, and the heroes are around there, and Mr. Miracle, of course, is escaping from a death trap, and so it's a very fun piece. I love it. Yeah. And then, uh, and he's just talking about the whole, the whole concept of gods, and good and evil, and so it's actually a lot of kind of high, high, lofty stuff, what he wrote there, so, um. It. Basically, the, the, the title is called "Even the Gods Have Flaws." By the way,
1: and the next one is "The Man for the Job." Man for a job is sometimes a woman by Ramona Fraiden, and her contribution is a really great shot of Aquaman. Woohoo! Uh, this might be the last time she drew Aquaman for DC Comics. I think could be. I can't think of another time where she's drawn him uh she he's riding a dolphin and avoiding a torpedo that's exploding
0: <laughs> the dolphin's uh, leaping over the torpedo yeah
1: it's fantastic and then there's uh there's uh, some birds dropping missiles because uh, they're they're go- yeah this is clearly like the, the she's clearly drawing like the 1950s aquaman Where the, did the birds or, get the missiles yeah this is great and <laughs> yeah. she talks about how uh, you know her life as a woman drawing comics which was not you know not usual for the time she says she never really uh, experienced a lot of sexism as far as she could tell. She says, I don't think I was underpaid. We were all underpaid. So I wasn't That's even good. more underpaid than anybody else. Uh, she mentions, I hated drawing superheroes. I hated their one dimensional robot like battles with evil. I hated drawing figures in extremists, drawing page after page of unrelenting dynamic tension and the impossible mass action scenes that were always called for in superhero stories. Ten thousand figures it took a writer five minutes to describe, and took me five hours to draw <laughs> so it's like it's kind of bitter, it's a little nasty, you know she obviously enjoyed her work with Brenda Starr a lot more, but it was just great that she's represented here, and I love that Aquaman gets this full page to himself I, in this book I
0: love his face i it it doesn't look on model for the Aquaman, I know, but is that on model for her era of Aquaman
1: yeah pretty much yep, yeah, her, her style morphed over time but so this this is pretty much what it looked like in like 1955 aquaman so it looks great yeah it's and a the really beautiful is piece really nice like tom luth yeah it's a really it's a beautiful piece beautiful it's subtle yeah yep. well,
0: like it, the, the orange has gradients of yep. orange and it's just really really well done next article is by george perez with art it's interesting it's, it's a combo piece It is Trina Robbins drawing Golden Age Wonder Woman up in the clouds, sort of like a, almost like a, you know, a spirit, and then on the ground looking up at her is uh, a modern day Wonder Woman, meaning post-crisis, and the top one and the bottom one are drawn in ink, they're, they're, like, the bottom one, it doesn't appear to be inked. No, yeah, it's pencils and then just colored. Crayons, almost, or something like that. The coloring is very different, you know, whereas the Trina Roberts one is very traditional. So I don't know if that's intentional or not, but it's, uh, it makes for a contrast. That's for sure. Yeah. This piece is um, I honestly was a bit of a disappointment for me. It was basically just an advertisement for his book.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's really all it kind of was was a big, long, very long advertisement. It talks about Wonder Woman, and there's some there is some nice stuff about Wonder Woman's creation in the 40s, but for the most part, it just feels like it's an ad for him bringing Wonder Woman back to greatness. So, and then you get a. Conclusion and afterward by Frank Miller, which is another non-original piece. It's a it's a shot of Superman from Dark Knight Returns about to throw a tank, and uh, at least I think it is. Yeah,
1: it is. It's a, yeah. yeah, it's non-colored, but it's yep.
0: yeah. So and he's sort of talking about um the, the, what talks about what uh, the Jewish people went through in World War Two and how a lot of the Jewish creators went on to create superheroes as escape. You know, was it escapism? Or was it something else? And it's, it's an interesting piece. Uh, it is. And it talks about how... Um, it, it just how, the, how our, our times barely resemble those meant by Siegel, Schuster, Kane, Kirby, Simon, and the rest. But surely we have cause enough to be dissatisfied. As long as we do, we need, we'll need heroes. That, that's the gist of what he's saying is whenever there's dissatisfaction with whatever's happening around you, that's how superheroes get created. So it's an interesting piece. Um, and sorry, I was struggling to explain it there. Part of it is like, couldn't quite honestly remember it. But. Then we get into, this is, this is, this is the Peace of resistance <laughs> right here. Now, um, Rob, we have talked about previously on the Fire and Water podcast, that mural that was yes. at the D.C. offices. Yep, Was it drawn for this book, or was it drawn previously? Uh,
1: you know, I don't know.
0: Because this book has a three-fold-out page uh, jam collage art piece of... Different superheroes from DC's history and, and non superheroes, sort of celebrating the 50 years of DC publishing. And it's got a bunch of different artists. Just to give you kind of a flavor here, I'll read off some of it. You know, Tommy Tomorrow by Jim Mooney, Phantom of a Stranger by Jim Aparo, Swamp Thing by Steve Bissett and John Totelman, Question by Dennis Cowan, You know, White Witch by P. Craig Russell, Green Lantern by Marty Nodell, the creator, You know, Enemy Ace by Dave Stevens, Plastic Man by Bill Sinkevich. Dark Side by Jack Kirby, Ragman by Keith Giffen, The Ray by Brett Blevins, Spectre by Michael Kaluta, Man by Steve Lytle, Brian Bollin, Lady Blackhawk, Black Condor by Michael D. Gilbert, OMAC by Jim Starlin. It goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, It's a a who's who of creators, if you will.
1: And Aquaman by Paul Norris for the last time.
0: Oh, yes. I'm sorry. I should have mentioned that. Yep. Yep. And uh, it's a gorgeous piece. It's a lot of fun because the styles don't work together that well on purpose, it's everyone's unique style, yeah, but everyone it is a jam collage where everyone is in the same unlike the who's who covers where people weren't necessarily always in the same space everyone here is in the same space it's like they're all standing on risers for their class photo
1: yep including warshack appearing, ne- s- appearing next to the in, side of it yeah appearing next to d c characters for I think the only time is this the only time watchmen has ever been drawn um alongside the d c heroes maybe in in any sort of official way.
0: Maybe so. I mean, yeah. I th- must have appeared on something somewhere, like a letterhead, probably, or something. Yeah. But, but either way, yeah, it's 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 a very rare instance, if not the only time of that. You know, there's the gorgeous Hourman, Man oh, by Gilbert Hernandez, which is shocking. Like I thought it was a Steve Rude Man. but it's Gilbert um, Hernandez. And then you get uh, who's the who's the one that we always criticize? Like I was real critical of uh, the Flash by uh, Jaime Hernandez hmm So, because, uh, didn't he do the... the Phantom the, Girl. Yeah, Phantom Girl I wasn't pleased with. But His flash looks amazing, so. Love this piece. It's really gorgeous. If I can get a good scan of this, which I won't be able to do, but if, if I can find one online, and I'm pretty sure I can, we'll, we'll be sure to put this up on the Tumblr. Yeah,
1: oh, it? it's out there. I posted it on the Shrine. I posted a big version okay. of it on the Shrine, so there yeah, it's go. out there.
0: Now, it is a three-pole, uh, as I said, and as you're folding it out, the backside has <laughs> Cyril uh, from Space Rangers, by Art Adams, which is great. And then on the other side, the side that you're looking at when you open the page before you flip it off, is Sugar and Spike by yay! Sheldon
1: Bagger. So, yay. Yeah, Not a perfect completely forgotten.
0: Yep. And that is Who's Who of the DC Universe. And this will officially bring to a close Who's <laughs> we Who. We mean it this time. The definitive podcast of the DC Universe. And when we return, it will be the Who's Who po- our Who's Who Update 87 podcast.
1: This thing has had more endings than Lord of the Rings.
0: <laughs> well, was it worth it, buddy, or did we just waste two hours of our
1: life? Uh well that's for the that's for the listeners to judge.
0: Okay. All right. Well it was worth it to read it and it was worth it to me to talk about it with you. So yep. is it listening is it listening worthy? I don't know. As I said, it's a bit of an experiment for us. It's a different format because it is different from a Husu. It is different from a regular comic. You know, hey, we did our best. And I'm sure we missed a lot of stuff. Uh, you guys are amazing at picking up stuff that we either missed or got wrong. I'm sure Rob, you know, got everything wrong, usually does. So be sure to write into the comments. Rob, where can they write us? at
1: Firewaterpodcast.comcast.net. And the Tumblr is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com.
0: Yep, you can also leave comments on our blog. Uh, Rob runs a little shite, site, a little shite,
1: a little site. Oh <laughs> man, a little
0: Freudianism there. Uh, it's called AquamanShrine.net. You can find, uh, you can leave comments there if you can deal with the Capuchiva thing or whatever it is. Um, or, or, if you're more of the discerning commenter, you can come over to firestormfan.com and leave comments there. You can find my quote unquote good friend Rob over on Facebook and Twitter as Aquaman Shrine as well. You can find me on yeah. the same as Firestorm Fan as well as Tumblr, Google, and Instagram. And uh, I think that is going to wrap it up, folks. Until next time, who's next? next. <laughs>
1: Aquaman and
0: Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man, who are all these people, man? They're all part of a DC, who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold,
1: Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrigan, and Arisia and Woozy Weeks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him.
0: He's also part of the DC.
1: Who's who? Oh man, we forgot
0: Slipknot.
1: So who are Sugar and Spike? Well, they're two toddlers on their everyday misadventures. Of course, they've got their cast of characters, their uncle who brings them gifts, has fun times, other babies from within the universe. One interesting thing though, is that these babies can talk. They can't talk like you and I. They talk and baby talk, and they can talk to other babies. Not only can they talk to other babies, they can talk to baby animals. Not only are Sugar and Spike a beloved classic DC Comics character, and while a lot of people didn't get the opportunity to write them, they did make a lot of appearances in other books. They've appeared in books like Wonder Woman, Batman Brave and the Bold, uh, Showcase, Kingdom Come. I believe they're in a TV set in Kingdom Come. Uh, They also made a brief cameo in uh, the Batman Brave and
0: the Bold animated series as a logo for a diaper company in the show.